Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Music Relish Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of music and assorted other subjects. Um, we are on YouTube, so if you like what you see, please like us and subscribe. It will, we will love you forever. We're also on the following uh, podcast sites. We are on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Pocket Casts, and Overcast. So we're out there Overcast. if you want to see it. Overcast. Overcast. That sounds cool. Yeah. Sounds like the way it's been around here lately, except for this late afternoon. Really? A lot of rain lately. Yeah, we have it up here, too. We're entering monsoon season. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah I've been we, we down know. there in uh, September. So we have eight minutes to impress anyone who has a short attention span. So you want to just jump, jump right into things? But don't let me so, talk. Well, how well, are you, tonight, fellas? Hi, how are you doing? How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Right. How are you doing, Perry? Right. How are you I'm doing, I'm feeling Luke? good. I think we're going to have an upbeat show, unlike last week where I brought everyone down, man. You did. You did. With the, you know, the fire. But <laughs> it had to, be, uh, had to be stated. It had to be out, put out there. And you just, you keep bringing it up, though. You're just talking about it again. Well, All right. tonight I, I, we're going to, you we're know, supposed we're going to be talk... lighthearted. Well, tonight we're going to, well, here, what's more lighthearted than trains, railroad songs? Right? Well, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, you know what? We're going, man. We're going. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to talk about some records from the year 1990. Yeah. And also, Mark and Lou are going to review the John Prine album, The Missing Years. But not necessarily in that order. There not is. necessarily in that order, but also <laughs> um, we, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe um, Daniel Lenoir. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you have a guitar player that you wanted to mention for, uh, for a bit, right? I do. I do. What's his name? Uh, his name is Elliot Randall. Um, Elliot Randall. Mark knew about him. I think I had, but just a, 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 cool, a cool little story. It sounds like an interesting guy. And, but he's got a couple of distinctions in the realm of uh, rock music. Cool. Use a guitar player. Cool. Check cool. out my coffee mug. Where are you getting wow. all this stuff? All right. So and that, on the that... other side, on the other side, I have a, a monkey in a tuxedo, a chimpanzee in a tuxedo. And all of you out there in TV land, you too can get a Music Relish Podcast coffee mug, but you don't have yeah. to uh, put just coffee in it because he doesn't have coffee. In no, we have water. And me and Lou don't have any swag. This is like really. I know. Bad, I know. <laughs> Well, so you want to get into the uh, to the train tunes? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, in relation to all these train songs, I think the idea was that these writers were using trains and movement in trains as a metaphor for other things, like a lot of writing and music. You know, it's not direct, like, you know, I got on a train to go to San Francisco or Memphis. Um, you know, it was a, a metaphor for freedom, rebellion, uh, stolen and lost love. I mean, there's... Right. In yeah. fact, like for instance, from uh, John Fogarty's record, Center Field, right? He has a big train, big train from Memphis is the song. The big train from Memphis is Elvis. So it's a metaphor. Right. The big exactly. train from Memphis is Elvis exactly. in, right. in that song. Very cool. And yep. it, Memphis is, is, I wonder if that's the most used song in it, like a lot of rock music. Um, Even John English Prime, fans. Yeah. You know, just, uh, was it? Um, All the way Martin to Memphis. Hopeful. All the yeah. way to Memphis, by the whole. Yeah. Um, granted, I mean that's where Elvis from, but that's it's a music town. One of them, yeah, big yeah. American music town. Well, um, let me give you a little sample of Big Chain from John Fogerty, anyway. Right while we're here. Okay, be careful. I know is listening. From Memphis, now gone, gone, gone. 
See, big chain from Memphis. Now he's gone, <laughs> gone, gone. It's Elvis. Yeah. Hear, the, hear that bass line. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. Well, and he probably. The, uh, the, the, drum, the drum beat, too. <laughs> and that, yeah. That's a train beat, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now, on, on that album, Center Field, did he play all the instruments on that one? Because it sounds like him on drums. It does. It's very it, stiff. It yeah. does. Hey, you know, yeah, it is. He's not a great drummer, but um, he's, he's good enough, you know. Mm-hmm. Old man down good the road. to make okay. a record, yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. Since I've, I do have a theory that most guitar players don't really play drums very well, except Paul McCartney. Okay. I like to play drums, but I can't use my feet. You're a conga that's player. Defeats well, no, its own purpose. No, it's because I can't roller skate. I can't ice skate. <laughs> can't ski. That's why I can't use my feet. I'm playing drums. I'm in your club. Who's got a train song? I got one. Literally. What have you got? It's a literal song, not a metaphor. As you knew I was going to do this. City of New Orleans, Willie Nelson, and has Mickey Raphael playing a harmonica, doing a train sound on the harmonica. Magical song. Just wow. uh, very good. I've got I've got a little sample here by the guy who wrote it, Steve Goodman. Ah. Morning America. Riding on city of New Orleans. Illinois Central Monday morning rain. That's the version of the guy who wrote it, Steve Goodman, late great Steve Goodman, a great friend of John Prine, by the way. Really? Great friends. Yeah. They supported each other on shows and all kinds of things. Yep. I think I read that reading about John Prine. Yeah. No, yeah. no surprise, yep. really. Really? That, that, that's a classic, classic American song. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But it's been recorded by, I mean, I think the radio hit was the one by Arlo Guthrie. Am I wrong about that, you're, or am I right about that? Right, you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. I just that always think really the produce that was really produced well for radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, although Guthrie, you know, I think last year he basically said no more playing, no more touring. Um, really? Just, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's it. It can be a toll, but um, but he's even just so, hanging you know, out in New England. He's on the farm. Yeah. I see pictures posted it, constantly. Yeah, oh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right? It's it's yeah. not a, a bad thing. He's just like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool because, you know, being Woody Guthrie's son, you know, he's someone who carved his own path, you know. Yeah. You know, and made his own mark in the shadow, you know, in, I mean, yeah. maybe not in the shadow of that, but you know, dad was Woody Guthrie. You know? Maybe we'll cover Mermaid Avenue sessions in a future uh, show, right? Yeah. Well, why not? Why not? Yeah. I got one. Who's got a train song for me? I do. It's, it's What have you got? It is a um, no shot. You guys, it is train leaves here this morning. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. You know, two versions yeah, we know. Dylan Clark, yeah. Dylan Clark, uh, Bernie, yeah. written by Gene Clark and Bernie Ledden, and then covered in '72 on the Eagles' first album, sung by yeah. Bernie. Too um, bad I had a sample of it here, but I I deleted it yeah. after the show. Yeah. Right, right. Um, it's a great you know, song, though. It is a great song. You know, the, yeah. the train references come in the end, and as I laughed as a smoker passed along, or no. And I and I laughed as a joker said move on, but there's there's movement, you know, there's the train and movement going yeah, from one place I mean, to another, you know. Right. It sounded like, like, it sounded uh, like th- there was something didn't work out in that song for him, you know. But he's got the address written on his sleeve, so he's you know he's he's hitting he's yeah, leaving yep. town on a train. Right. Like you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare play uh, Gordon Lightfoot Canadian Railway Trilogy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> If you could get away with just eight notes of that somehow, but but that that's another that's a that's such a beautiful song. Yeah, There's, I've got you know. I've got one here if you want to hear it. It's uh, one of my faves, the International Submarine Band, huh. written by 
Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons. Called Luxury Liner. This is the best part, these changes. You think I'm lonesome, so do I, so do I. It's all reminiscent of Gene Clark and all those sort of, uh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And that drum beat, it's it's the same. It, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a driving, you know, either you're doing that yeah. shuffle thing or you're doing the locomotive snare. But, yeah, yeah, that was know. 1968, just before he joined the Birds for Sweetheart yeah. of the Rodeo, but he still, there was a contract he was still under contract to whoever uh, they signed with for the International Submarine Band. That's why they had to almost edit him out of um, right as far as singing on the uh, Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Right, mm. right. Can't really identify that it's Graham Parsons, except on the on the uh, bootlegs rather than yeah. the uh, box sets. And they're not to be confused with the International Silver String Submarine Band from the Rascals. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny that, you know, he, Grant Parsons also had, uh, well, the Flying Burrito Brothers, and that was a cover band, and they, they bought the title from this cover band. Oh, really? I didn't know. Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> yep. that's, a great, that's a great name. Yeah, yep. yeah. You know, I'm very disdainful of most band names, but there's certain ones where like, yeah, that's really great. That was good. Mark, you're up. Have you got one? Don't yeah. play. Woo-hoo! Don't play Casey. Don't play Casey Jones. Don't do it. Don't do it. That was on my list, but don't, don't play ride that train. Perry, ride that train a... high on cocaine. That's a classic. Perry, there, I got Perry. a 24 minute version live. It's just it's it's, it's a tasty biscuit. Mm. You'll love. Shoot it. me now. That <laughs> <laughs> I, I hearing the opening notes to that song makes me cringe. <laughs> I love how the drums coming out. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, no, I, I, I that like one. that one too, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That, that's in that classic dead period for me that I, I but, do like. You know, I don't mind. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's very good. Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 do, I, I the like the was... drums on the studio. Very, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like it's got a, you know. Yeah. That was oddly enough, really quick. That wasn't what I was going to say. That was you a period when Bill got? Kreutzman was the only drummer because Mickey Hart had to drop out of the band because his oh. dad stole a lot of money from the band so they were a one drummer band for about four years really wow if you you see the grateful dead movie it's just bill kreutzman up there mickey hart's not Hmm. part of the band so he was shamed he left you know they asked him to come back well my thing what i was going to come up next though was people get ready by the impressions or if you like me you grew up with the rod stewart version with jeff beck on guitar that's a great version yeah train of coming yeah Yeah. that's a great metaphor yeah yes both of them Oh, that, yep. that, that's a, that, that's heavy. I don't wonder who. And that, that was written by. Is that Curtis Mayfield written? Curtis Mayfield. Yep. Um, he was great. He was great. He was yeah, great. Yeah. Prince learned a lot from him. Did you call him a second-rate Curtis Mayfield? A two-bit. I once called two him a two-bit bit Curtis a two Mayfield. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same thing. Same thing. Was that that string of angry but shows? But I've changed my ways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's next? Who's got I, uh, another one? What I got have? one. It's an old classic. It is Mystery Train. Mm. Mystery Train rolling round. There you go. Nice. Nice. Train <laughs> we better right. leave it at that. Yeah, we all know there, that brother. song covered yeah. by many, many people, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I gotta... The band has a great version. 
Yeah, the yes, last well, waltz. No, right? actually, also they they covered it on their Moondog matinee cover album that they did. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They did. It's a great. That's a great version too. There's two drummers. There's Levon and Billy Mundy from the Mothers of Invention are both playing drums. Uh, one of them is playing a, the the stuff backwards while Levon is. It's like a reverse. One guy's oh, playing wasn't the, the guy guy. from Lost in Space. Wasn't no, that's Bill, that's Bill Mooney, who did oh. Roly Poly Fish <laughs> Heads, Eat Them Up, Yum. But um, but the the from the last waltz, Paul Butterfield's playing uh, playing with he, the band, right? Yeah, he's playing harmonica. Train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Levon yep. sings both versions, but uh, they do it. The band did it great. I mean, the last waltz version is great. Their their version of Moondog Matinee is great. Uh, that's another I've one. Got you know, another, it's, uh, it, it's it, well. In speaking of, of the train theme, you know, mm-hmm. the train stole my baby. It took his, you know, yeah. took his woman away. You know, in reality, it was something else took his woman away. But yeah. The train is the the means uh, for her to go from point A to point B. But, yeah. And the metaphor. Yeah. I've got and, a little sample yes, of one also, here. No explanation necessary. No, go ahead, Lou. Um, Elvis's early work was great. You know, whatever mm-hmm. he became after that was a, a tragedy. Yeah. Um, but in his, fact, early, his early stuff was real. Yeah. It was very real. I saw, um, I saw Jack White the other day on watching some video and, you know, some documentary. And he bought an acetate of Elvis from Sun Records. Wow. And acetate, mm. that's from 1955 or 54 or whenever it was. And he was having it digitally, digitally transferred. Wow. In Nashville by a person who does that for, uh, for a living. Handle with care. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Lock that acetate away. So he Oops, had the acetate. It. He had the acetates <laughs> there. Coffee on it. And the little label was coming up. So he got a little knife and he lifted it up and you can see the Sun Record logo oh, underneath. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sam Phillips was a visionary. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Let me play this one for you. No explanation necessary. You're getting two in a row then, aren't you? (laughs) I was riding number nine, heading south from Carolina. Okay. Lonesome whistle, Hank Williams. Hank Williams. That might be protected by somebody somewhere. <laughs> we're pushing the envelope a little bit on. on, on yeah, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have uh, an edited show. We're gonna have yeah. a three piece uh, three piece show. <laughs> we're, gonna have the... a, we're gonna have a show on. Uh, chop, well, chop, we won't chop. have train song. We won't have train songs on here. <laughs> the other a, subjects. Have to take a Ginsu knife to this thing. <laughs> yeah uh, that, that song um i feel lonesome just you, you feel lonesome just hearing that it's yeah, just that, yeah you know yeah but when he was when he goes wah, 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 sound like a train whistle you yeah. know alone uh... who's got right. one um i'm gonna stick with uh the r&b the oj's with love train Love train, get on yeah. board. Love train, happy love song. Train. I love that song. It's a happy song. Yeah. Down in Africa. Yeah. That's a great one. That yep. was on my list. That was on my list. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got one. I'm crossing a lot off as you guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Johnny Cash, Blue Train. Going around a blue train, going around a blue train. Yeah. Yep. Now, he also recorded Midnight Special. A lot of people recorded Midnight Special. Lead Belly. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Blue, same, Blue Train was... The same song that CCR recorded? Same, yeah, the same, same okay. song. Yep. Okay. Uh, the, yep. 
midnight special, you know what it is, right? It's a train heading to the prison right. yep. for the family to visit the prisoners, and the yep. train had the light on it. So, uh, in Never fact, light. let me bring in the locomotive for the. Uh, there you the go, segment. nice. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the light on the on the front of the locomotive <laughs> was the midnight special. Shine the light on me. Let the midnight right. right. So yeah, right. that's what that that's that was. Um, Lead belly. Nice. And actually, I mean, there a lot of good versions of that done. Uh, Johnny Rivers, whose his version was the theme for the midnight special TV show, the rock show, late night show in the 70s so yeah. that was that was johnny yeah Rivers. yeah but that's yeah, right yep yeah. yep you know now perry as songwriters you and i had something we used to call the train song but i don't think there's yeah, anything yeah. locomotive mentioned it just has that rhythm but, did, did, was that something that was else called that, threes that was called threes no that Wasn't became it? the song threes yeah we, yeah, we used yeah. to call it the train song before we had yeah because there. it had you did that shuffle beat that yeah yep and that's that's the locomotive snare like that jeff tall song Who's got another one? Uh, yeah, railroad song. I got uh, one. Oh, yeah, it was go a ahead. You go. Riding okay. that train oh, around cocaine. There's cocaine. Some, I mean, uh, we're, we're, I'm going to say Blackfoot. Train, train. <laughs> that's a, you know, that, that's a weird form of Southern rock. They're, they're one of the originals, but that is a good song. Um, yeah. It you know, if you listen to the, the guitars. It's kind of it's who a, are they? They're the ones that did Jim Dandy to the rescue. No, that, that's no. A, Blackfoot was um early Ricky members. Medlock. Early, the, the medley, yeah, Ricky Medlock. He was an early member of Leonard Skinner. Yeah. So I think he's on the first record or two. I think. But I think they're, they're yeah. one of them, at one point. I think, uh, so Blackfoot is I think it's two Medlock brothers and it's swampy southern rock, but they can play. But actually, that song Train Train oh. has some great playing on it. Mm -hmm. um you know southern rock it's interesting i you know we've never touched upon it too much i know our friends at milk and turntables have done southern fried rock but you know it's it's, it's mm -hmm. it was a big thing it um, was a definitely a unique genre that it was disappeared. And, it disappeared as fast as it came in you like, know it, i think after the mid 80s you know that mid 70s to mid it was maybe a 10-year lifespan but you know when it became a little slick, like um, oh, what's that band? Special, Ma Ma not Molly Crew. I think Molly Hatchet. Molly Hatchet. Yeah. yeah, that to me at that point was getting kind of weird. Southern Rock was getting kind of weird then. It was. Yeah, getting, I saw them open up for the Outlaws, and it was uh, you know. Oh, you did, the, yeah. The 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 high point was yeah. that song. And I've seen. I saw the Outlaws. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. See yeah, now, uh, all these yeah. bands they started to turn like hard rock in the eighties, and they became kind of like no face to their music yeah but like mm. say the outlaws look at the outlaws that was a really good southern rock band yeah good they were. melodies good yeah. tunes i saw them had, like, seen... molly hatchet was more basic you know it, it was a wild, it was, it was kind of a slick they yeah. had some other stuff it just didn't i didn't like the sound of it anyway mm. um I, I saw um the outlaws at seton hall seton hall university in newark new jersey south orange mm -hmm. uh, when i went there and that was a good show i mean it was good it was in a smaller uh school venue of the theater there but um, yeah, that was, that was pretty well, but you know, three guitars, but Southern Rock was about those guitars and stuff like that. Three guitars, two drummers, and, right? And oftentimes, 38 Special yeah. had it, although I don't think they didn't seem like they yeah. needed it. But 38 <laughs> Special was like a new wave Southern Rock band. It was more modern. Yeah. So they were Southern know. pop, even really. Yeah, right? yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jeff yeah. Carlisi, the lead guitarist of 38 Special, was in Ben Orr from the Cars, his last band. So when really? actually he, he was with Ben Orr, he was one of the people with Ben Orr when he passed away. But that oh. just shows that there's a connection there because you know that guy like, was a good guitar player, yeah. Yeah, oh sure, sure. All good, all good music. I've got, I've got a, a, a great train singer. song. I've got a train song, but all you need is to hear the opening bars, and you'll know exactly what it is. 
Driver eight. On my list. Let that go too far. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Really. That's it. I mean, you're we're walking the line here, Marin. We're out on a tide rope. Like I said, um, we're gonna have to edit this show. Good. Good. Um, story behind that song. What it was about. I just can't after remember. This, after the segment is over, we'll do the intro again. This way, we'll have an intro <laughs> for for the second half of the show. <laughs> Well, let's just not do that anymore. Like, okay. that. Come on, yeah. man. Well, yeah. well, come on. I got. Well, here, listen to this. Come on. No, no, don't, no. <laughs> no. All right, that's enough. Right and now, that's a midnight train to Georgia. And actually, most yep. people don't know that's not Gladys Knight. That was just called "End the Pips." You remember the yeah, SN- remember, right. remember the remember the SNL yeah. skit? Yes. No. <laughs> it, it, it had just the pips. So all they're doing was the dancing and the backups. There was no lead vocal, but the, the skip was called End the Pips. Wow. Okay. Now, what, what, what war movie is that song in? It's a I big. Have no idea. It's, no, The Deer Hunter. Oh. I think when um, Christopher Walken is in like a wedding I think when, scene? No, it's in Vietnam. When, after they, they escaped from the. Um, the Russian, the roulette, the Russian the roulette rat thing, pit, yeah. which apparently that that was an art, a lot of artistic license there, uh, used as metaphor to show the horror and the psychological torment that soldiers go through. But apparently, there were no documented cases of um, captured American soldiers having to play Russian roulette. I mean, given that was that, a brutal you know, scene. That was oh, a the whole thing. Scene. Yeah, I, I mean, and you, you rooted for them when they got out, didn't you? I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, yeah. Even the whole yeah. thing, you know, it was just, that was a, such a tense. That's great. Yeah, great absolutely. Scene. Yeah, yeah. Great, sad, yeah. sad movie. It was John Savage, right? And, uh, John Savage, uh, Christopher Walken, and and Bobby De Niro. Bobby De Niro. Yeah. Meryl Streep, the late great, the late great John Cazale. Great. Yeah. 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 Yep. But uh, Minette Train to George is playing in the bars. I believe is when Robert De Niro's character comes back to get him after Robert De Niro made it home. He found out okay. Nikki was still there, so he goes back to get him. And I think it's maybe around that time when Christopher Walken's. Out of the hospital, and before mm-hmm. he gets in, maybe or maybe before he gets into the Russian roulette games, but man, all right, that got really. Hit. We're supposed to have a lighthearted episode, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's a classic, classic movie. Classic. Yeah, who's got, who's classic got another movie. railway song? Where are the okay. other stars? So you, so you just did. Okay, I got "Stop This Train" by John Mayer, and I gotta Ooh. say, it's a very powerful song, and it's about a kid saying, you know. I'm growing up. Things are happening fast. My dad's not going to be here forever. Stop this train, you know? Good song. Okay. I got one. Shoot. Bruce Springsteen, Downbound Train, from Born in the USA. Yeah. Great, A great wow. song. A great album. You know, did Tom, was, did Tom Waits write that song? No, he did Downtown Train. That's on here, too. Um, you know, his version did that song. And also Patti Smythe. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah um, really, and all three versions. Are, I mean, even Rod Stewart. You know, he's quite a good singer. You know, even as, as slick as he got, but the, the versions are great. Patty Smith's version's great. Um, mm-hmm. I'm Tom Waits's version, of course. Haven't heard all three, but yeah, and all those Brooklyn girls. You know, uh, but Bruce's uh, was covered by the Mavericks on the, the Bruce Cover Me tribute album. The Mavericks, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. down by a train. Great version. You know, yeah, great version. Yeah, Raul Mala. Like yeah, like, and that also has you know. But yeah, they have a sort of minor key dark feel to them, you know. Yeah. The, train, the mystery train. Cool. Let me play a little riff here. Okay. Oh, 
That's it. That's all you could do. <laughs> long, oh, we man. know that's that's a train song. Long train running, right? Long train by the Doobie Brothers. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. There's so many. There, this is incredible. Yeah. How I about, could, how about oh, um? Yeah, Mark. Oh, I was gonna say we don't have to get in trouble if I sing it. In right. The shuffling madness of locomotive. Oh, right. yeah, yep, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Getting a little poppy there. A classic. I'm going rock, off but... the rails in a crazy train. Yeah. 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 Yep. I, I, I. Last train to Clarksville. Last train to Clarksville. Yeah, I'm not going to play it. By the way, backing up. In fact, I'm moving the locomotive out of the way. If you if you back up to Crazy Train, if you listen on headphones, the very beginning when you hear dun 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 dun, yeah, yeah. Real quick, you'll hear someone burping between each boom boom. Really? Yes. Had to have been Ozzy. Had to have been Ozzy. Was it Ozzy belching? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Okay. Now, name this percussion instrument that also comes in there. Vibraslap. Either we have a winner. Wow. (laughs) Um, I think they remastered. Didn't they go back and remaster, remix it? Sharon. And and didn't, was it Robert Trujillo from Metallica re-recorded? Yeah, so Sharon um, didn't want to give, because Ozzy, those first two albums, it was equal. So she wanted all the money to go to Ozzy. Yeah. So she re-recorded it without the rhythm section. And I actually bought one accidentally. And Robert Trujillo, he's a great bassist, but Mm -hmm. he plays so low. So you're hearing a boom, boom. Boom, boom, but it's like slightly out of tune, like because he's just slapping these loose strings. Huh, it, wow. it, it was horrible. I mean, and, and I, the poor guys, they got blamed for it. It was Sharon, you know, and then they re released yeah. it. But Lee Kerslake, the drummer, mm-hmm. he also played with Pat Travers, uh, Uriah Bob, Heap. Uriah Heap, yeah. Uh, he was dying like in the last year of his life, and he just begged Sharon, please give me the gold albums. I was part of that. Please, please. They gave them to him like a couple months before he died. Like, he just huh. wanted. To be wow. known, like he was yeah. part of that. Are gold he, albums actually gold? Like, are they worth? Yeah, I think they are. But whatever it's just the worth point is, uh, the weight of gold. He literally wrote. They wrote those songs. Like he was part of the songwriting process. So he just wanted his mm-hmm. due, like to be recognized. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it, well, it, Sharon didn't good, look good on that one. It was a great. I mean, in this genre, it's a great album. But the thing is, it was poorly recorded. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. it's terrible. Yeah, um, but yeah. you told me that, that in the past. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's terrible, and but that was Randy Rhodes's. You know, people were like, "Who the hell's playing guitar?" That was that that propulsion for Ozzy too. That brought him back. Was that a comeback for him? Yeah, it was. He was, yeah. it, you know, he shouldn't have come back. He was sitting on a couch in a hotel room just drinking, and then you got to give Sharon credit. You know, she she got she him back him on track. Yeah. yeah, so it's mm-hmm. it's a double edged sword when you get mad at her. But if it wasn't for her, he probably would be dead now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, that that was like talk, talk about a like a totally almost a Cinderella story, and at yeah. the same time, Black Sabbath came back too with Ronnie James Dio. So right. the two of them were, were doing good. Yeah, see, I'm not familiar with any Sabbath stuff with Dio. Yeah, I love it. I'm a real heavy metal guy, so that's like it's really good stuff. But uh, Rainbow uh, in the Dark is being played at the ending credit. I've heard uh, and that. The ending, yeah. it, well, it's on the the new Thor movie for Eleven Thunder. <laughs> It's, it's, oh really? Yeah, yeah. They, they use rock soundtracks a lot of it. Um, yeah, that's through... a Dio song. That's actually yeah, a that's Dio. Dio. Song. That's oh, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I that's saw what... a commercial for that Thor movie. It looked like a comedy. It, the whole, it's it's goofy as hell. Um, yeah. that's another review. Um, yeah, so that was with Vinnie Appice on drums. Yes, Vin, yes. Okay. Vinnie Appice. Vinnie Appice. He's like a Carmine's brother. Did you? Brother did you ever Carmine. meet him? You ever meet him? No. Okay, so I went to this, uh, the chance. He's four, it's foot, a great... he's four foot ten, right? Yeah. 
Uh, he he does he does look like something out of a fairy tale. But, um, <laughs> older than Danny DeVito. He was in a band called Elf. <laughs> guitar player did this this uh, tour of like guitar greats, but they were like you, they would only be able to play bars. It was the guy that used to be in Scorpions, U- Uli Uli John Roth, a couple other guys, and Vinny Apache was the drummer for all the sets. So it was like a four hour show. So we're at the Chance in Poughkeepsie, my favorite place, but it's dark, dreary, mm-hmm. and out. So he was at the bar, you know, and I went up and just said, hey, Vinny, it's nice to meet you. He, he talks to you like he will. He, he engages you in a conversation. Meanwhile, mm. he does go out and he plays large theaters with bigger bands, you know, but he's doing yeah. this. He just never stops playing. So when yeah. he did his drum solo, there's like heating pipes at the back wall of the stage. He's hitting the heating pipes and everything doing. all yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the thing. It was um, Al Casey, one of the guitar players from the Wrecking Crew. You know, in their heyday, he was saying that because you say yes to gigs until you, ha- until you have to say no. So even though Vinny mm-hmm. Apple would play with bigger other people or whomever, mm-hmm. you know, they, they they would you know still play the you know the, the chance in Poughkeepsie, you know, and like, probably like one of the Vanilla the, Fudge, or was that his the, brother? That was Carmine. Yeah. But you know, a drummer like he doesn't have writing credits, so yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. job for him. Like he's got to yeah. get out and play tour. He's, he may be getting some royalties, but he's not getting songwriting royalties. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, he wrote. So, a, didn't he write a few songs with Rod Stewart or something? That's uh, Carmine. Carmine that's wrote. Carmine. Carmine. Do yeah. you think I'm sexy? He co-wrote. Wow, so he's living off that. Did, did he co-write Hot Legs? Maybe. I don't know. I think he. Only, I think it was only Do You Think I'm Sexy. That's a rock and roll number, though. Hot Legs. Great oh, song. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. rock it and almost, roll. It sounds yeah. like the fa- almost like the faces. It does a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We've deviated from our septum here. That's okay. So, um, so all right, let's, let's leave the train songs behind. And uh, you want to go into the records of 1990? Yeah, you know, it just like, came across. I was reading we didn't mention Train 90s. in Vain by The Clash. Oh, That's yeah. all. Train in Vain by The Clash. Yeah. yeah. Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. Yes. Well, there's a metaphor, right? Runaway Train is the, the girl running yeah. away or something, right? And Train in Vain, too. Yep. It was a, it's a metaphor for a train that's in vain. Um, Mama <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was, I've been thinking a lot. I guess on Scott's show on Milk Crates and Turntables, they mentioned the '90s, and I'd say I dropped out of music in the '90s. Like mm-hmm. I really didn't listen to much, but I looked at a list. Like 1990, I was still into music, like I was when I was a teenager, going mm-hmm. midnight buying some releases when I came out. So I looked at albums that were released. It was kind of interesting at that point in time, and there were like five releases that are really like big to me or they were but uh i just want to mention a few you know um 1990 black crows released their sh- debut album shake your money maker and that was a huge album yeah and it was like we had the hair metal going on so they were marketed as a hair metal band but they were just really? they were the, they were like stones you know but yeah yeah they had the big hair uh, in the beginning i didn't know? connect those with that la I, I, uh i wouldn't either no go boots and tights scene they were at they, all. Were, they were putting them on um that what was that MTV show with the heavy metal videos? They were always on Headbangers Ball. Album. Yeah, they were on. They were trying. That was the record label marketing wow. them as that. You know. Yeah. I think they got better with age. I think that they they really. I like them. They're really Headbangers Balls. <laughs> Ricky Rocket. So another album. This is one of Perry's favorite bands. He he tells me how much he likes them. Damn He's Yankees good. came out that year. Love them. Yeah. Love Tommy got their whole record. Ted Nugent. Right. Is <laughs> yeah. that the band? Tommy Shaw, Jack Blades from Night Ranger. 
Jack Blades. Who were the other two victims in the band? What was the... There was a drummer. I don't remember <laughs> his drummer. name. Who was the drummer and bass player? Yeah. Bass player was Kelly... Jack Blades from Night Ranger. No, that, that's right. That's right. He's the yeah, bass player. Yeah. And was Ted uh, Nugent in the band, like taking a paycheck for the well, for the power ballad? I gotta tell you, that song "Higher." It's actually a really good song. It's a good Tommy Show song. His no, solos not. in that are no, so out. His solo. Don't be, don't be any trunk. Oh, it's not I a good like song. that song. I do. <laughs> Harry, this is this is it. I disagree with you. I disagree. No, but when you listen to the song, you got this nice ballad, and here's Ted Nugent just doing dive bombs, the whammy. It's like, come on. Stop. I, hated it. I hated it when I was in 1990. I was like, that's, that's, that's the whammy bar, right? You do that, yeah. right? With the yep. roar. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's the wiggle um, stick. <laughs> and a, another I know a guy called that a bozo bar. <laughs> I, I just called it a, a wanker. Um, Robert Plant released Manic Nirvana that year, and I do remember that because I walked into Music Merchant in Westwood, New Jersey. John mm -hmm. Schleipeck, the owner, was there, and he's he said, "Did you hear the new Robert Plant?" And I said, "No." And he said, "It sounds like fingernails on a blackboard." I <laughs> wow. So when John didn't like an album, I knew I would like it. Right? So I said, "Give me one." So I bought it. I brought it home. It was good. I liked it. He was starting to now, get like heavy. Was that Robert Plant's first solo effort? No, no, Zeppelin? no, no, no. So, no this no, that was early, him. early eighties. Oh, that's right. First yeah. solo stuff. Early bon 80s. Bonzo died in seventy nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he 80, put out 82, like 80, the principal moments. Yeah. 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 And then he um, did like he was very popish in the eighties. Great yeah. albums. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. They were great. Great. He found a he great had guitar some really player. Really great records. Yeah, with that Robbie Blunt was the guitar player. Happened to him, but he was a great yeah, he, he was great. That, that was a great, I thought that was a great pair up. Um, yep. But what's what I so admire the, about the, Robert Plant? No, go ahead, Lou. The songs that you mentioned, the album you mentioned, Mark, what's uh, what's you know, the songs on that? Um, there was nothing that was on the radio, but okay. he was starting to get like back into it. Was a they, they uh, one reviewer, I think Rolling Stone may have said it, but I don't quote me on that. Is that it was his one return to cock rock. He was kind of like trying to do his Zeppelin stuff again. The Nothing cover of the album. Rock. Yeah. <laughs> but so it see, wasn't. That, that's a term like that is why kids can't listen to our show. They can we are too. an educational <laughs> show. You guys, you guys were planting the F-bomb my first time on the show. Come Absol on. Absolutely. That's <laughs> different. That's different. You know, kids have heard that. but uh... it, It's a genre. It's just like crap rock. It, it's it's out there from the, from the multiple. I have a six-year-old son. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't bat an eye at that. <laughs> Sopranos ruined everybody. Um. Yeah, but so it was a good album. I mean, it's true. John had a point. It wasn't like full of these like pop tunes or anything, but it was, it's on retrospect. Whatever Robert Plant does, it's it's good. Like he I knows admire, how to shake I it admire up. the way he changes his singing style. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. not he's not always gonna be Robert that's Led Zeppelin Robert Plant is different than a guy who admires Elvis and yeah. grew up on these right, you know what I mean? Oh, there's yeah. a whole blues thing. Well that that guy is yeah. he, he's gone in a sense because you know. Uh, he, yeah, he, yep. he grew out. He he grew out of that voice and in, in, into another one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's the older voice. You can't hit those notes. You can't. And he was he was freakish. He was like a banshee. I mean, opera singers don't stay like that forever either. You know? Right, right. Get Getty Lee can no longer do what he used to do. Right, he can right. come close though. He can come close. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, but, I think know. Robert Plant like, but, when they did the uh, reunion, the Led Zeppelin reunion at O2 Arena. The mm -hmm. way he sang the song, so I was like, how is he going to do this? He really did a great job with that. Like, he didn't scream at all, but he handled the songs very well. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's all how you do. Uh, we, at that point, it's how you carry the song. At that point, how you readapt yeah. it. You know. So, yeah. Yeah. Like the Rush song, "Losing It." Yeah. <laughs> don't know. I don't know that one. It, it's a song That's about. A it's a great song, very melancholy, beautiful song. It's about, it's about my own family, Senator. Oh my God! <laughs> no, I think you do know, <laughs> Mister Carleon. And I you killed wish. at the behest of your superiors. <laughs> that was great, thank you, thank Emmy you. award thank winning. You. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you. I, I play a good um, senator. <laughs> oh, oh. That's why you have to go like this. Um, the lawyers for those people clapping are now calling the Music Watch podcast. <laughs> so I always wish Robert Plant had told Roger Daltrey, dude, you can't sing it anymore. So calm down. But he's <laughs> you know, a perfect example. Like, he's well, has just, he changed the way he sings, Daltrey? Yeah, but he went too late, I think, in his career trying to sound like the 70s Daltrey. Uh, That's why I, they should just play face dances. Don't let go. Those are just little pop songs that he yeah. can do. At 80 yeah. years old or whatever, right? Yeah. If yeah. he can no longer be a belter, how would he adapt? Uh, right. Like, How's he going to do Love, Rain, or Me? Yeah. Or, at, yeah. yeah. Or, or does he play like do torchy songs now? Like all, all the, a lot of the major singers of that time did albums of mellower material. Glenn Fry did one. He did yeah. one of those like, you know, really slick, you know, nightclub y things. He did The Shadow of Your Smile. And mm -hmm. he did a way. He did it great. It was great. But yeah. They should yeah. all do it like William Shatner and Telly Savalas love Telly Savalas. <laughs> There's a couple where Telly actually sang. Yeah, big she is though. Rocker. Hey, Telly's the coolest. <laughs> I've been Stavros. Book the perp. I'm hooked. My local Get TV has. Um... <laughs> I made perp spit take. Come on, man! I'm gonna choke. <laughs> I almost spit. I almost spit take my own camera. <laughs> yeah, beer tastes real hard up the nose. I'll tell you what. Sparkling water. <laughs> no, it's water. It's sparkling uh, mineral water. <laughs> I, I drink it from Italy and from France. I won't say the names. Rocker. Oh, <laughs> you drink it with your stomach, your finger extended? No, I drink. Oh. I drink it in my uh, music relish. Mug. <laughs> you know what Evian spells backwards? Naive. <laughs> it's it's Mister. You're using Mister. Jiggs's like license, Mark. Mister. Jiggs. Mark, you lived in Hillsdale. Remember Mister. Yeah. Jiggs, the fan. Yeah. So, listeners, who um, used to smoke. Um, Mark went to school actually with a performing chimpanzee that smoked cigars and rode a bicycle. Remember him well. We hung out. Yes, I had yeah. my first beer with him. I heard you bullied him yeah. a lot. He bullied me. Everybody you know, bullied me. An, an adult male chimpanzee has the strength of five grown men. Mm -hmm. that's, that's messed up. Really? Plus, can rip somebody's up. face off, right? Yes. And, yeah, and they will. They, they mess yeah. it. Chimps mess it. They'll pull your ding dong. <laughs> it <laughs> happened in Connecticut. Some woman had a face yeah. you, could say, yeah. you could say the C word, Lou. Yeah. Say it. They'll no. rip your water off. No, I'm not going to hurt you. Those things no, will swim up your dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. <laughs> All right. So let's let's get this back on track here. So oh, yeah, 1990. Let's 1990. get this mystery train back so on track. Here. Here's to put in place like what that year was. Billy Idol came out with an album I had no interest in. Charmed Life. I had that song Cradle of Love, which I thought was just. What song was uh, it called? Cradle of Love. It was in a movie. And it was like mm. his last big hit. And it was after he lost Steve Stevens on guitar. But like there were some forgettable yeah. albums. But that's how I placed that year. Yeah. What was on MTV? You know, that, I was that was pretty MTV. slick. That, that could be yeah. Charlie Sexton doing that song. Yep. 
And I find it ironic that in 77, when Led Zeppelin were rehearsing, he was outside when he was in Generation X as a punk calling them dinosaurs when they walked out of their rehearsal studio. He became a dinosaur, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Ended up playing himself in a movie. He was in uh, The Wedding Singer. He's in the air. He's in an airplane. There's an airplane scene with Billy. It was good. It was funny, you know. Yeah, didn't take yeah. himself too seriously, but who's yeah. the guy that? Uh, who's the guy that produced David Bowie? Let's dance. Nile Rogers. Nile Rogers. You've heard. You've heard that story he tells, right? Where he was in a uh, David Bowie. David wanted to record in Switzerland, so they were. They weren't. No, they just happened. To, he just happened to be in Switzerland in a bar, and Billy Idol was at the bar, huh. and. And Billy and uh, Niles, uh, Nile Rogers, yeah, they're talking, and uh, and uh, Billy uh, Billy Idol says that that's David Bowie over there. It's David Bowie. <laughs> so was he being a dick? So Niles Niles says he went to chat David up, and uh, David says to him, "I want you to do what you do, is uh, make some hits for me," and that's what. Uh, then he produced let's dance yep well did you ever hear the story about the song let's dance niles does a great interview where he plays it the way david bowie presents it to him it Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been a hit and i think he had to argue with him like no this is what we're going to do with this song and niall made it a hit because the bowie version was just like not that good well he tells the story excuse me so we're going off this little side road here anyway that's what we do Um, niall rogers tells the story that he said david david came to his room with a 12 string guitar with five strings on it and played him yes. what he thought would be "Let's Dance." Wow, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting story. Yep, it's played him the riff to you know "Let's Dance," and I guess Niles did what he did. Yeah, but Billy Idol says that's David Bowie. That's David Bowie. Some of this disrespect, like yeah, like punk mock punk disrespect. You know? Bowie. Unless um, you know, no, no, if you check it out, you know, on his first album, Billy Idol's first album, "Hot in the City," is not punk. It's a pop song, right? Right. You know that, that a lot of people could have done that, but I, some of his Billy, Billy Idol's early stuff is pretty good. I mean, "White Wedding" is yeah. a good song. What's the "What's the Wonder What"? Hey, little sister, would White, White Wedding. White Wedding. Yeah. yeah, that was with that guy Steve Stevens on guitar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was that was a big number. That was a great number. Yeah, and I and played Rebel on Yale. that drummer. I played on that drummer's drum kit at the Bitter End at an open mic thing. What do you mean you played on the drummer's in, drum kit? One time in the area. Well, he got fired. He left that band or he got fired. He got replaced by uh, Tommy Price, who was a drummer in Scandal. He's a drummer on The Warrior. Um, he's also on a Blue Oyster Cult record, but it's got Tommy Price replaced this guy. I forgot his name. But there was an open, open mic thing at uh, the Bitter End in the 80s. Me and my two brothers went, and when the guy went up used his drums, he goes, Don't, I brought my own cymbals. I, you, you had to bring your own cymbals. He goes, you break anything, that symbol's mine. <laughs> like, okay. okay. I'm not going to break anything. but And you can't take my symbol. Well, you, I still have like that this, symbol. Like, ding. <laughs> no, no, David no. David no. Bowie. No, no he, was, he, was a, he, was, he was just a weird thing. You know? Anyway. Yeah, so, so, well, where well, else were we in 1990? Rock stories. 1990. So, in 1990, Jeff Lynne put out Armchair Theater, which was basically an offshoot of Traveling Wilburys. It was his first solo album. And had all the guys from Traveling Wilburys. I didn't like the album. I was hmm. really not into that glossy. I even had trouble with Traveling Wilburys because it had that glossy Jeff Lynn production, which at that time I, I didn't know what you really mean. Hear. 
Yeah. I hated that drum sound. I wasn't a huge fan of his production at that yeah. time. Yeah. Either. Yeah. 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 Even like the I mean, Tom Petty stuff that he produced. I'm like, oh, it's mm-hmm. Flynn sound, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mark, that, that's funny because at that time, I, I like, Cl- I love Cloud Nine. I mean, that brought George Harrison yeah. back. That was, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there is, there is that sound that, that really clean, almost like white noise snare drum, drum sound. Um, and like the first was, did he, he produced Full Moon Fever, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And that stuff, like, I love, I love Tom Petty and the Harper because at that point, I said, the sound was kind of, I had to get adjusted, but now when I listen back to it, I mean, I'm more forgiving. But at the Same time, I, I was like, I said, you know, it, it's that overkill thing too when you know, someone's producing everything, everything, everything. That's right. Um, That's yeah. right. And it was kind of like the Phil Collins, like that unique sound that was just yeah. plastered everywhere. The Phil Collins Ooh. gated drum sound. Yeah. He had the Jeff Lynn drum sound, you know. I, um, I have a correction from last week. I, I misspoke yeah. about it. We were talking about drummers. On Peter Gabriel's So Record, that's not Omar Hakim. That's Manu Kache. There were two oh, sessions. Okay. Yeah, so Omar Hakim did not play on that record, but that was Manu Both Kache. fantastic. Uh, Manu Kache toured with Peter Gabriel, too. Uh, probably, oh, yeah, I think. Yeah, he did, yeah, for yeah. a long time. Hmm. So anyway, um, moving on. Hmm. Uh, the Allman Brothers reformed and put out Seven Turns. I love that album. And that was really? the first album with Warren Haynes on guitar, who we all know now is with Government Mule. Yep. I was really, I grew up a big Almonds fan. So when that came out, I ran out and got it. And I loved it. And I still love it to this day. Southern rock, but in the Almond oh. style. Warren Haynes is a native of Asheville, North Carolina, where I live. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's from there? He's, or fr- he he's from there? here. You know, he is from here. Um, and every year at the, um, like at the Civic Center, it might be called something else now. It, um, they do their Warren Haynes Christmas Jam. So it's a big show in town. And there's a lot of guest artists. It's a big, it's a big night. Um, tickets are hard to get. Does but he yeah. ever like just walk around town? Have you ever seen him walking around? Does or? he participate in the drum circle? <laughs> no, I doubt it. No, unless it's extremely incognito. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I, I think I passed. I think there's a street named after him. I think I passed it on one of my deliveries. As I imagine okay. it. Um, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I wouldn't know if he, he's, you know, you've seen what it looks like. He, you know, big guy with a beard and long hair and. Asheville is full of that. <laughs> yeah, um, you might have bumped I did, into I did him. see, yeah, when I worked at the Whole Foods, uh, the big Whole Foods here in Asheville, uh, I was like n- right next to Zach Galifianakis uh, shopping in the produce department. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, you know. He must have had a beard too, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> so where, what else happened in 1990? Okay. So Jane's Addiction put out Ritual De Lo Habitual, which I, I went to England. Liked. You did? Oh, we're talking about, we're talking about music. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> so they put that album. I liked it because, again, I was getting bored with music. They were different. I didn't follow yeah. them, but Been Caught Stealing is one of my favorite songs. So that I was 1990. It. I always liked that song. Yeah. 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 Um, Great sound. Queen put out their last album with Freddie as singer, Innuendo. Fantastic. I remember when it came out. It hit me the same way that David Bowie's last album came out right before he died. Just hit me like a ton of bricks. I loved it. Very, very good production. Steve Howe played on it. Uh, excellent. What, very, very what's good. on it? Like, I want to break free. Is that the song that was no, on No. Uh, well, the song Innuendo was, was on MTV. Um, these are the days of our lives. You, you may not know songs that are on it. Um, they didn't have any huge hits, but they were very good. And when Freddie was recording it, he was so weak from HIV mm-hmm. that, like, he'd come in the studio, record, he'd have to leave like if he did a big 
vocal performance he'd have to sit down it's literally like it was line by line i heard you know and in the video for a couple of the songs you see him he looks he looks very emaciated um and uh so it, you know we knew at that point we knew that he was dying but when the david bowie album came out no one knew or i didn't know and then like a day after yeah. it came out he died that bummed me out yeah you know? uh, I've been hearing Lazarus on the radio quite a few times lately for some reason. Hunting song. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Mm -hmm. It makes me sad. There's a reference to Uncle Tom. You see the the astronaut, you know, in in the ruins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to go. Albums that hit me big that came out. Mm -hmm. Living Color, Time's Up. That was their follow-up to their first album. I love every song on an album. Elvis is Dead is a great song. Elvis La Muerte. Awesome album. Queen's Reich, Empire, another one of Perry's favorite albums. I know you just love Empire. You, at the laundromat, you played it so much, we had to tell you to stop. <laughs> um, it was they're, they're a weird almost metal. Com- That's an interesting metal band. They're, 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 something, they're different. They're different, but um, yeah. the vocal yeah. stylings are very different. Well, that had that song Silent Lucidity. Remember yeah. that? That was like a very oh, yeah. Pink Floydish, and Michael came and did the strings on it. Um, but that album, from a mastering standpoint, the compression it's so good to listen to on headphones and uh one of the bonus tracks on the reissue they covered scarborough fair and so to hear jeff Tate really? sing scarborough fair it was wow. very dramatic wow. very dramatic okay. you know? yeah yeah that was their pinnacle to me you know i've heard i have heard that mark yeah okay yeah yeah interesting it's like, too it, you it, admit it, though. I, I yeah i mean i was i was i saw it on the radio i'm like scarborough fair i'm like queen's right i'm like but you know this like i said it's dramatic yeah. yeah, but it was good. It was good. Yeah. And Jeff Tate, he Original. he wanted to, he wanted to go in different directions, and that's why eventually they had that very acrimonious split. It was bad, you know. He split from yeah, the band. Right. He formed his own Queens Reich for a few years, and now he just I forgot what he calls it now. So I think he calls it mind mind crime or something. Um, okay. Paul Simon put out Rhythm of the Saints, which was the Brazilian version of uh, what was that album? Uh, Grace Graceland. Yeah, it had a lot of Brazilian. I like that album. That was huh. good. I, I know that song. I'm not sure there's others, but yeah, he's he's a pioneer. Yeah, was, world yeah. music guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. When the, when the originals, you know, well, a lot of the um, came, a lot of the world music stuff came from that folk element. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. What was that song that that uh, Simon Simon Garfunkel did uh, with the Andean flutes? El Condor Paso. El Paso. That was world Condor music Paso. in the sixties. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they yeah. didn't write it though. That was a that was a Peruvian that was standard. song. And also, Pete Seeger hated. Could not stand. He was with the South African. He hated when they did in the jungle, the mighty jungle. The oh, really? sleeps a night. He hated that. He said, You ruined it because it was a traditional South African. It just, you know, with all the all the uh, tribes people singing. Right, right. And then they somebody slicked it up and popped it up with the lion mm. sleeps tonight. Mm. And uh mm. he couldn't stand it. You know, being being a, a folky. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe being an old curmudgeon. <laughs> old cranky, no, woolly-headed. He wasn't that old back then. Um, Neil Young and Crazy Horse put out Ragged Glory. That was a good album. Wow. House on the Hill, I think, was on that album. Okay. Um, And then, to finish it off, two heavy metal albums, because I was a metalhead. Megadeth, Rest in Peace. That was a freaking awesome album. Heavier than anything mm-hmm. that Metallica did, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And Judas Priest finished, you know, the last album with Rob Halford did Painkiller. And I still remember with my good buddy Steve Stagg driving down I-95 because he lived in uh, Philadelphia. 
and we were like Wayne's World. We'd put that track on Painkiller, the song, <laughs> and we'd be banging our heads in the car while we're playing. I'm surprised we didn't go off the road. Two great metal albums. So it was the, so you had like the, you know, it was grunge coming in was right around the door. Judas Priest were making their last big message, you know. They were, mm. We knew metal was on its way out, you know. And then you had these, like, alternative things coming in, like uh, oh, yeah. Pain's Addiction and stuff. So just a, it's an interesting year. Again, it's like 1979. You had the end of one era. Yeah, it was sort of transitional, yep. Yeah. Well, can can yeah. I throw in a couple? Sure. Yep. Um, as far as transition into music, because, you know, the, the 80s, a lot of that stuff in the 80s helped spawn the alternative rock of the 90s. And the 80s as well, but... Um, Uncle Tupelo's first record came out, No Depression, 1990. Wow, Je- yeah. Jeff Tweedy, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Who's the other guy from Sun Bowl? <laughs> Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> Billy Smith, no. Jay Bennett. Jay Farrar, Jay Farrar. <laughs> Jay Farrar. Jay Farrar. I have their records, yep. I, I knew his name. Um, the Laws put out their only record. That was a one-hit wonder. That you, was 1990? 1990. Uh, there she Kenny goes. Jones? Kenny Jones? What's that? Was that the band with Kenny Jones, The Law? No, that no, was the, a band the, from the, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, the, oh, yeah the, they were indie band, but they, they had that hit. There she goes. There's, oh. I mean, that, that's, that's used in TV commercials, movies, yeah, and and TV commercials. But that was a one. Yeah. Album, that was a one-off. Um, wow, they might be giants. Put out their debut album, Flood, with our friend on drums, Ken Nolan. On don't, on don't don't let start their first single. Ken Nolan was the drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Ken Nolan, who yelled in my face, F you, F you, F you, F you, this close, this close. And you know why? Because, because, of, some, because of that song. Yeah. That song. I like dreaming because dreaming can make you mine. I was just yep. goofily singing that one time at work where all Perry and I and this guy worked together. He got in my face and told me to F off about 50 times. That was, <laughs> an adult, that was adult contemporary fluff. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that, yeah. Was a, that might be a one That was wonder. like ambrosia. Yeah. Ambrosia are a prog band. That their their one offs yeah. were a very uh, very right, light right. light See, slick Jesus, pop. I shouldn't have said I anything. Well, that well, you, oh, you did. No, yeah, you did that on purpose. You know, Perry, thumbs up. Thumbs I love up. Ambrosia. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. I heard some interesting stuff. I haven't heard enough to say I'm a fan, but I was like, I'm pretty... riding that train high on cocaine. <laughs> okay. Um. How about um. So, uh, Sonic Youth put out Goo. Oh. Um, Allison Chains, their debut album, Facelift. Mm. Wow. And and Mazzy Star. She hangs brightly with that great song, uh, the the one that got an MTV um, "Falling to yeah. You." So, Falling to you. Falling to you. I think that's it. Yeah, going to you, falling. Fade Whoa. into you, dang. That's Fade a good song. You. Yeah, it's a good song. Oh, that was a good year. I I liked a lot of '90s stuff, Mark. I mean, yeah. And with yeah. me, yeah, I didn't me. know that I did, but I now I know that I did. Yeah, I, yeah, I like was, a blind blind melon. You know, some of those. Yeah. Well, I was three years out of high school in 1990, so I'm like, I'm working at CPI with Tom, making cassettes, thinking that I'm going to make cassettes the rest of my life. But then, like I said, like after 1990, I started to get tired of music because when you work in music as production, you're not, it's just like, you start to get tired of it. You know, like, oh, I don't want to hear this new song. I don't want to hear that new song. So I really totally, like in the 90s, yeah. I was buying reissues because CDs at that point, they're starting to reissue old stuff. And I just cut out. I missed a lot of good music in the '90s. You guys have introduced me to a lot of it. I didn't know about Uncle Tupelo. Maybe if I studied Uncle music, Uncle Three Below, yeah, yeah. And Uncle Billy Uncle Shears Tup- was in yeah. that band. 
Uncle Tumblr was a band I'd see in the the, the the Aquarian, and that became the East Coast Rocker magazine. Yeah, and you like, said you had a chance to see him, but you passed up on it. Right? There were many times I said I was gonna I was gonna go into New York and just I'm gonna go see this Uncle Tumblr. I mean, I was you know, I was going yeah. to we all go into New York every once in a while on a whim, um, but that was just one time I just never did it. So I wish I had, but yeah, what are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. Going to do. But Perry, you and I went to the famous Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey. Ooh. Maxwell's that, that, in Hoboken. We saw the uh, Chesterfield a few shows Kings. There, you saw them. Yeah, yeah, I went there Kings, once. Yeah, yeah, yep. And that's about all I remember that night. I don't know if you were there, but I saw what was that group um, with Vernon Reed as the guitar player? Living, Living Color. Color and Living Color. Living Color. They were opening up for someone that I saw at the Ritz, or that we saw at the Ritz. I think you were there. And I forgot who the, who the oh, it was the Godfathers. I think they were opening up for the Godfathers. That, that wasn't that wasn't me. That wasn't, that wasn't me. you. Well, anyway, Vernon Reed, uh, Vernon Reed, and uh, Living, Color. and Living Color were there. And uh, yeah. yeah, what a great guitar player that guy yeah. is. I, I yeah. think around 1990 or so, I they played the Beacon Theater, and I went to see them with my brothers. And yeah, that's when Mellencamp came up out of nowhere. And they Johnny Mellencamp, Johnny yeah. Mellencamp, uh, and they did Pink Houses. Really? Like, really? That was that was, wow. that was wild. That was You're totally, kidding? No, no, totally unexpected. I was there with my brothers Anthony and Todd, and probably a few other dudes. Um, but yeah, we're like, we're gonna bring up a fan. You know, but, you know Mellencamp was riding pretty high then, and uh, so here he comes up on stage. It's kind of rocking, interesting. I wish I could recall it, what it sounded like, but it was good. And their music relish, like us and subscribe us on YouTube. Send us an email at musicrelishpodcast at gmail .com. Send your cards and letters. It'll warm the cockles of our collective hearts. You know, the Living, cards, Color, Living Color were the only time I got caught in a mosh. They played Spring Valley. Spring Valley, New York had a club called World Stage. I saw Zebra oh, there, Robin Trower, B.B. King was there. Was that, is, was that near the flea market? Uh, no, it was on Route <laughs> no. 45, which ran north and south. But oh. it was an old movie theater. I, everybody played there in the 90s. It just had a... It, got shut down because nobody wants live music venues anymore around here mm -hmm. so i'm on the front i just want, I want to see living color and it was this tour behind this album uh uh that's the second album that i referenced so i'm up there and they come out and you hear the intro to um you know um what was their big hit uh cult, cult of personality, of personality. Mm -hmm. so you hear the intro of the speaking and i'm like yeah all right this is gonna be good I didn't understand how moshes work, but people literally just stand there. And all of a sudden, once the drums come in, you know, you're just getting tossed around. So I, I just ran back. It scared the crap out of me. But it was a great show. Great. I, I was enthralled. Yeah. yeah. Great bit. Great bunch of musicians. He had, he had kind of Never residency. been in a mosh pit. Never been in a mosh pit. I'd be, I'd be, I couldn't do it. I'd flip. Enough to get me to a club. Um, he used to run and read. Used to play. It was either Kenny Cast, Kenny's Castaways or the Bitter End. He had like kind of a residency there in the eighties before he put together in Living Color. But um, yeah, okay. so he was, he, uh, yeah, yeah, a local guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are we still From in nineteen ninety? Like, is there still a, is still a ways to go in nineteen ninety? Sinead O'Connor, I do not want what I haven't got. Oh, what did yeah. Frank Sinatra call her? Shinehead, Sinbad, <laughs> lighten up, baby, I a like platinum. It. I like Sinead. She has a great yeah, she has a great voice. Um, yeah. let's see. The replacements all shook down. And the breeders, Ooh. Pod, the breeders, um, ex uh, other members of the Pixies who also put out Bossa Nova that year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Cannonball. That was a great song. 
Uh, that was a great song. Yeah, it was uh, Kim Deal and Tracy. I've got her name from the Breeder uh, from Pixies. They did a little side project with Kim Deal's sister Kelly, <laughs> and had a had a hit. They, a song called Cannonball. Great song. Um, unexpected hit that became a full time band for her. That was a good year. I liked the nineties. I was I was I was twenty nine in nineteen ninety. Yeah. I, I went. I to saw England. a little. Do- I saw a little mini documentary on the on the Deal sisters. On the Deal sisters. And, uh, yeah, they'd be on their bus touring. And they got a little four-track machine, and they just start recording on four-tracks. Yeah. On, on a four-track. That was an oddball little tune with really cool, low-budget video, you know? They show them playing, then they show this yeah, cannonball, yeah. like, rolling down the street with a camera mm-hmm. following it. Yep. Yeah. Well, it uh, worked. That was a great... I liked it, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's was, just say that, cool. that at that time, MTV was actually a positive influence because they were actually breaking some new stuff at that point. You know, you could actually get, get through yeah. with your unique sound if they decided to take you. And if your song was good enough, you know, there was no, it wasn't flashy. There wasn't, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like glamorous or anything like that, but it was a, it was a really catchy, undeni- undeniably catchy song with an interesting, quirky video that there was, but you said there was still a place for that. You know, the, the replacements yeah. had videos, um, you know, yeah. and that, yep. that same year they put out All Shook Down in 1990, but you know, there that, that wouldn't lie. I mean, I don't even know what it became. 16 and pregnant or whatever the shows that they're doing on MTV or have done and you know isn't so, it an oxymoron to say music television now i mean yeah yeah it's, it's been like that yeah. you no know, i'm wearing i'm wearing the the, uh, the old standard shirt there you right? go i want my mtv hey, yeah nice. I, I even think i think billy idol actually when i said i want my mtv <laughs> right um, my... i think pete townsend one yeah. of the earlier ones yeah i want my mtv really and yeah. Chrissy Hine. Train Chrissy Hine. What? The Who 515. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, there's, it's so, just, song. there's a million. Yeah, great song. Yeah. They're great. So you guys, I sent you a thing the other day that uh, Michael Jackson is a is Sony ATV, the music publishing company. He's a 50, he was a 50% owner. 50% of Sony ATV music. So they bought out, Sony bought out the estate of Michael Jackson for $750 million. So Michael Jackson no longer owns Beatles songs or, you know, they bought, they bought the, the estate of Michael Jackson. Sony bought him out. So now they own it outright. But here's the thing, mathematically. It says Sony owns 750,000 songs. So... If they paid seven hundred fifty million on seven hundred fifty thousand songs, how much did they give him per song? I can't do the math. Was it a thousand a song? Was it was it a hundred a song? I don't I don't uh, know how to. I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm glad Penny's they didn't store the all the masters in one warehouse. You know, <laughs> right? Where, where does Sony keep their stuff? All over the world. Iron Mountain. Atomic packaging. Sony and Warner's use yeah. Iron Mountain. Yeah. So what's it called? Um, Iron Iron Mountain Atomic what storage? Iron Mountain Atomic Storage. So it, it's Iron Mountain Atomic Storage and Italian Bistro. There you go. Yeah. They, they Iron Mountain actually has fifteen hundred facilities in the U.S. You know what, Lou? There's a documentary. So they're everywhere. 
there's something on on YouTube. I'll send you the link if they show that what I was telling you about underneath the ground, where there's like a whole community, like a, a town. <laughs> I there's I something I'll send you. It's really cool to watch. It's it's like beneath the planet of the apes down there, isn't it? There you go. There's a guy on an organ. Reveal myself to my innermost God. <laughs> so they bought out seven hundred fifty million dollars. They paid the Michael Jackson estate. I was that fifty percent for his fifty percent stake in yeah. Sony ATV Music. And they own seven hundred fifty thousand songs. Who owned the other fifty percent? Sony. That's the right. No, no, Sony bought out his share. So they they had fifty. Sony bought they, out. They the, bought out his the, fifty. That's they right. paid off the uh, the right. Michael Jackson estate seven hundred fifty million. Yeah. For the fifty percent ownership stake that he had right. in Sony so ATV Music. Michael's children, whatever, they will be taken care of in perpetuity. Life. Yeah. What did Jermaine get out of that deal? I don't know if they got anything out of it. I don't know what the Michael Jackson estate is. The, the, the distribution factor was, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, back then when it was up for sale, Paul McCartney could have gotten it for $10 million way back when. Now, apparently, he brought it to Yoko and said, Yoko, we need $5 million from you. Why didn't he do Paul it? Because he, it, it's it's John and Paul. He wouldn't do it. He's he's Paul. You oh, know, I mean, out, out of respect for John's stake. Out of respect for John, so he went to okay. Yoko. He's he's a notorious skinflint, by the way. He's notoriously cheap. That's well, he he yeah. was going to kick in five, and he asked Yoko to kick in five. Yoko refused, so wow. they didn't buy. They didn't buy it. And I'm this was way Yoko. back when they could have got it for ten million bucks. I'm really did surprised Yoko, Yoko did, didn't bite on that. Did you figure she knew? Well, she was a businesswoman. You figure she knew she would make she more money for. She did not want to cough up the five million, yeah. Or, or she realized they were going to make a lot of money out of royalties using for licensing and stuff, like Nike, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they can't, they can't control that. They can't control that. Nope. Yeah, maybe she get, didn't. Maybe she didn't want to control it. Maybe she was. Get, maybe they'll get paid for that, but yeah. Like the I copyright said, owner is, makes them makes most right. of the money for that. Yeah, they she, get a fee. She had five million to do it, but she was going to make more money by not doing it, probably because maybe they wouldn't yeah. license the movie. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not I saying. Know. I'm not saying it's a. I'm not. It's not a judgment call upon her, but you know, I would think. I mean, you can't the, license well, what you don't own, like you said. Right. Paul McCartney owns the Buddy Holly thing, so he licensed that one song to Margaret. Uh, what's and, her and name? Probably, and probably others. Uh, Martha Stewart. He had no compunction against licensing. I was going to say Margaret Thatcher, but it's really Mar Martha Stewart, right? the Iron Lady herself. <laughs> Tramp the dirt down. That was the song Elvis Costello wrote about her. <laughs> Man, that was, that was. I think he actually. In, in, I think in after the song, he actually did a bodily function onto the grave. And his metaphors. Speaking of which, but uh, really, that that was his indictment of the Thatcher administration. Well, you know what? When El when Elvis Costello well, right. gets drunk, he says a lot of things that you, know, sure you can't repeat. Yeah, I think you should repeat then, the one. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. And then everyone <laughs> remembers Roger Waters. Oh Maggie, Maggie, what did we do? <laughs> Wow. So yeah, so Sony bought out the fifty percent stake, seven hundred and fifty million dollars. That's three quarters of a billion dollars. It's a lot yeah. of clams. That's a lot of clams right? for the, the Jackson family. Yeah. So check yeah. this shit out. Gary Busey bought a J forty a nineteen fifties J forty five that was owned by Buddy Holly. He bought it for two hundred and seventy thousand dollars. This is the money he made from doing the movie, the Buddy Holly story, and he bought this guitar. Wow. He bought Buddy Holly's acoustic guitar, a Gibson J45. With with the money that he got from he, playing Buddy Holly? With the money he got from the movie, yeah. Wow. 
don't know how much he got, but he he had two hundred seventy thousand dollars to buy a Buddy Holly guitar with it. Yep. Yeah. Pretty cool. I saw that link you sent me. I started watching some of it, but I haven't gotten that far into it. The Buddy oh, Holly the Gil, Gil Matthews, the drummer from Australia. I I, I don't know. I, I saw the intro. I saw a couple couple songs, but um. Yeah, there's a I saw Stevie of, Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks is on it. I saw that one. Oh, that she was a Buddy good. Holly. That was a Buddy, Buddy Holly, Holly tribute. tribute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she sounded yeah. really good in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She always had a good voice, Stevie Nicks. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. I and remember one time she was. Uh, there was some tribute. I forgot who it was. It might have been a tribute to Fleetwood Mac, and one of these singers came out. I don't know who she is. It could have been like Taylor Swift. I think it was Taylor Swift, and she came out and they were doing. They were doing a famous song that Stevie Nicks sang. And she couldn't do it. She was mm. out of tune. She was way off. And oh. Stevie came out and like right on the ball, man. Right on. You know, like mm. Stevie Nicks is a singer. Yeah. No auto tune, none of that stuff. Right. I also found out, Lou, you know, like all these country artists, modern country artists, how they all sound the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? They got that thing. You were like impersonating some of these country singers recently, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they put auto tune on their voice. And all of them. That's why they all sound the same. But they tweak it, they threshold it to a point where it's not going to be like that share song. Right, right. It's it, just it, it sounds warbly. Yeah. It sounds a little doubled. And yeah, and that's the little trick that they use for all these country singers sound the same. And again, auto tune. Yeah. This is the music business, what they did yeah. to country music. Yeah, it's yep. all it's the a, record companies. It's a formula and maybe stick with it because it makes money. Yeah. Maybe it's even more nefarious. Maybe there is this thing called for the men, it's called generic male modern today's country singer voice. And what it does, as you're singing in your voice, it goes underneath you and just adds that that thing that makes it sense. You know, it's like a ghost, you know, with that certain sound. You know, that's what my, my, all, they all sound alike. So while they're singing their own voices, there's that generic country yeah. male yeah. voice underneath. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. Like but a they cyborg about, double track or something. But they, how many Friday nights and pickup trucks can you sing about? I mean, or, you know, it's and all the same core, stuff. Everything's core is right? light. Coors Light, Coors Light, Coors Light. <laughs> as long as there's Friday nights, those songs will keep on going. Like you know, you know, the old country used yeah. to be about pain, about loss. It was very connected mm -hmm. to folk music. It was, it was a bunch of sad sacks of crap. You know, like yeah, guys, was, obviously, all these singers lot, were they couldn't lots of do a relationship. Yeah, yeah lots of heartache. Yep, yeah, yeah. heartache and uh, yep. Yeah, like it's all. But happy. it's different now. Like Just I said, it's all drive it's all pickup trucks. Yeah. Friday and Saturday night, life, drinking, know? drinking some beer. Oh, it's always beer. It's never hard liquor like the old <laughs> days, right? It was about wasn't about moonshine. Right, it's about beer. It's not it, like, yeah, it's yeah. not white lightning like the old George Jones stuff, right? right? And, and a lot of stuff it could be product placements and the, the, the soundtrack for TV commercials and stuff. Ford F-150s and Coors yeah. Light and yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Mark, yep. are you back? You skipped out for yeah. a second. I, I was doing my big pontification on that. Uh, you know, I was, I was cursing out the new country singers and oh, didn't get through my... I think so, Sony uh, froze up my feed there. Maybe. So, <laughs> no, it was, it was probably, I probably caused that, man. We're going to get shut. You know, we're not going to have a beginning of a show. Like I said, we're going to have a second half of the show, you know? But, we'll um, so not, Gil, not, guy, not, not on Spotify. Gil, no, Gil Matthews. Gil, yeah, it's only YouTube that has a only problem. YouTube, with yeah. It. yeah. Gil Matthews, is, um, he's a drummer. He's a famous drummer from, uh, from Australia been in a lot of bands a lot of famous bands now 
They say he was on tour in the U.S. in 1979, 20 years after Buddy died. And he's been looking for a 54 Stratocaster. So somebody tells him, I know you can get one. They were, they happen to be like in near Texas and all that. So he goes, I know of a music shop in Lubbock, Texas. You, we know who, where Buddy's from, right? Yeah. Also the famous right? insurance company, Lloyd's of Lubbock. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes and he pays $3,500 for a 1954 Stratocaster uh, and Sunburst. And he brings it back to Australia with him after the tour is over. And somebody tells him that he thinks that's Buddy Holly Stratocaster, Buddy Holly oh. stolen Stratocaster. Wow. From uh, 19, because Buddy, apparently Buddy had three strats. He had a 54, yeah. which was the first year they came out, right? He had a 56 and a 58. They had three strats, Buddy. And, you know, Buddy had an acoustic guitar also. Apparently he had a Les Paul in the early days, but he hated the sound of Les Paul. He traded it in for a Stratocaster. Huh. Probably cool. the 54. He had a 52 Les Paul. Probably traded it in for the 54 Strat. But this guy, people claim that he's got, this is the 1954 Buddy Holly Stratocaster because it had Bakelite pickups on it, and Buddy always did the downstrokes. Right. And the pickups would chip away. Okay. You know, they used Bakelite in, back right, then. Right. And this guy who owns it, Gil, Gil Matthews, he never claimed that it was Buddy Holly Stratocaster, but other people, experts, say that it's Buddy Holly Stratocaster. Mm. So it's all up there for, uh, for debate, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's Buddy Strat or not. I wonder, anyway. when, I wonder how that was inventoried after his death, you know, because, you know, his wife, had, you know, she got his estate he, because she was, you know, they were married. But, like, you know, like maybe he didn't have a large collection, but, like, what? You know, I wonder what happened, you know, where they, where they were at the time of his death. Where were these guitars? Were, yeah, that she house? probably, she's probably the one who sold Gary Busey, the J45. Yeah, right. I would think. Right. Yeah. Mm. But I don't think, she, you know, uh, I don't know if he traveled with three Stratocasters. Well, one of them, one of them is in the uh, Buddy Holly Museum in Lubbock. Yeah. They say the 56 may be there. And another one might be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The 58. Wow. But nobody knows where the 54 Stratocaster is. Mm. And apparently the 54 Stratocaster, apparently Leo Fender, the first ones that he made were all prototypes or something. So this, and apparently from what I understand now, the serial numbers, like if you have a low serial number, it really doesn't mean anything because Fender apparently had a bunch of plates, you know, little steel plates with the, with the numbers on it. Right. And they yeah. just grabbed them when they were making them as a, you know, so in other words, uh, 0004 doesn't mean it's the yeah. fourth Stratocaster that was ever made. Bummer. Yeah. A lot of, the, a lot of those companies back then screwed up the uh, serial yeah. numbers, you know? I, I thought I heard David Gilmore had number one or, or something like that. I, I heard that too, but uh, what's that, Mark? Is it true or no? Yeah, I think I think I think we lost Mark. I think from, Mark uh, has been absorbed into a video game. Yeah, I think. Uh, he's in, what was that <laughs> movie with? What's his Tron name? with uh, War Games or Jeff Bridges? <laughs> he's in. He's in Tron. Mark, you're we'll, we'll, in an early '80s video. We're gonna game. work. We're gonna work this into Mark's frame over there, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll go like this. Right? Yeah, we're good. 
<laughs> Stop that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but also, weren't you telling me about a, a song the uh, the other day, Lou? That about or last week that uh, Jimmy Miller played drums on. Yeah, it was uh, the Rolling Stones. You can always get what you want. You know, Al Cooper played the French horn and organ and piano on that. He very played the French song? horn. He played. That's Al Cooper on the French horn. The Forrest yep. Gump of rock and roll. That, that that's yeah. Great. Well, uh, on that very song, you right. can't. Oh, that's a great song. And, you know, it's funny. It's a great I, also, song. On the train segment, I didn't mention there's a Bob Dylan song, and it's a great quote. It takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. On Highway 61 Revisited. Yeah. Al, Al Cooper, of course, is playing on that. He's playing yeah. organ and, and piano. But that lovely French horn on You Can't Always Get What You Want in the beginning is Al Cooper. Wow. Okay, and wow. he plays piano and organ on there, and Jimmy Miller plays the drums. It's a nice, nice drum fills, too, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's, the whole thing is it's, a, it's this downbeat thing he does. And, but the thing I don't get, I mean, I can play to it. And if I can play to it, mm-hmm. Charlie Watts could play to it better. So I, it, it, they made it sound like that was something where like, Charlie couldn't ha- get grasp the rhythm that Jimmy Miller wanted when it, while he was producing that track. But uh, Charlie Watts is one of the greats. I don't know. Maybe he just said, you know, maybe there's more to that story because it's just, I, I, I if I can play it, if I got other drummers can play it, Charlie Watts couldn't, he could do amazing other things. He could play playing it black, whatever, but he couldn't play that song. So I don't know. I don't, I'm I don't not know. But I don't know about that. I think it's just Charlie wasn't available. And, and that's what I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it was something where he couldn't do it. Of course he could do it. Yeah, yeah. Might that's, have done something really better. That's what I think, know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're but, the Rolling Stones, right? When they, were, yeah. like, when they were in France, well, you know, Charlie's not available. Mix in Paris, you know, let's... Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, also, it's only rock and roll is Kenny Jones on drums. Yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. mentioned that last week, yeah. yeah Who's this yeah. guitar player from Steely Dan that you mentioned to me or you mentioned to me and Mark that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, his name was uh, is um, Elliot Randall, and he was an original member of Steely Dan. See if I can find his stats in uh, my little world here. I did write some stuff down. He's famous for a certain guitar solo. Here it is. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, he was an American guitarist. He was a session player. Um, in his early career, you know, he played. He does some um, studio work with. The, uh, the Ronettes and the, um, the Capris. I forgot what their early 60s hit was. But during the course of that, he had met Becker and Fagan, did some jamming, played on some sessions. While they were was he Jane... in the band or just like a studio guy that did no, he No, he was. He was. But he was while, in the band. Yeah, but while Becker and Fagan were in Jane the Americans and doing their session stuff, um, they were also with them. Uh, I didn't did know any of that stuff. I think they were. There. Who played? Who did the song Tequila? I who is that? I don't know any Godfather. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't think. Well, I think that I think they played with. They're not on that song, but they played in that band as a touring band. Um, really? But, he, I, but he's known for playing the guitar solo to Steely Dan's "Reeling in the Years." That was him. Yeah, and so apparently, I mean, that's a it's a highly rated guitar solo. Um, it was rated 40th best guitar solo in Guitar World magazine. And the eighth best by Q4 magazine, which I'm not familiar of. Now, were there there were two guitar? Was Skunk the other guitar player at that time? He, he was in the band at that point. Uh, Jeff, but Skunk he Baxter. wasn't the guy doing that. Was this is the guy you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. I mean, that, that's hard to say. I mean, they might have split that riff up somehow differently. Um, but I mean, that, that's the riff of the song, but also that guitar solo. That's the that's the one that is great. Yeah, that's this guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I think I so, saw an old film of that, and I think he was playing a Telecaster. Wow. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, anyway, great guitar yeah, solo yeah. on that song. And yeah. He, he's also the. I can't recall the guitar, uh, guitar solo now, but decades later, um, or a decade later, uh, he's the lead guitarist on the song "Fame" by Irene Cara. Fame. I won't live. I can't think of the guitar solo. Now. Really. Yeah. But other things. But um, he was Why a classmate. Why don't I play it and we can get shut down? Yeah, we go. Why? Why not? We lost Mark. Mark's coming back. Mark will be back. He's rebooting. Um, I think he's right. Sony shut him down. <laughs> they came and got him. Um, he's a New Yorker, and he was a classmate of one of my favorite songwriters, and you love her too, Laura Nero. The late, wow. great, yeah. brilliant Laura Nero. Brilliant. Laura Nero. We, we have to go back into her because she was on one of our old, old shows yeah. about songwriter about, segments, about, right? About family, yeah, about the songwriters yeah. that we just happen to love. Um, yeah. He, he was also, he, he wasn't, I don't know if he did the record with these guys, but he played with a band called Druids of Stonehenge. So I've heard of them. I'm going to have to look them up on YouTube. But they did an appearance on the Joe Franklin Show in 1968. Wow. You remember the Joe Franklin Show? I do. Yep. Channel you 9, know, where I yeah. used to live. Yeah. You know, at the time, I remember watching that show thinking, this, who's this old fogey? You know what I mean? But he was cool, man. He was Mr. New York Entertainment. Mm -hmm. He was a showbiz yeah yep encyclopedia you know and he was cool yeah I mean, it was low know. budget yeah, it was low, low budget. budget yeah low budget yeah. i think d snyder was probably on that show a lot I and mean, he's he was a new york treasure you know i still like when i could watch that show i, I loved it i'm like it's kind of corny in a way i said this guy like my, my dad yeah. would like him you know but he was cool i mean i think the ramones were on the uncle floyd show one time and i think they also did stuff with, with joe franklin Absolutely. really yep. yeah yeah wow I wonder if there's an archive, those Joe Franklin's, or did they burn in the universal fire? <laughs> you know, who knows, man? Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I wish Mark was back on because there's a, a, something he would appreciate. Well, I'll tell him when he comes back. Okay, I got a text. Lost my internet trying to get back on. Okay, Mark, we're waiting for you, buddy. Um, so Lost he's your on internet the first. Trying to get back on. Yep. Yeah. Um, so um, Elliot Randall's on the first Philly Den album, uh, Can't Buy Me a Thrill. And they asked him to, you know, they they had a core band, but they asked him to stay, become permanent. And he's his comment was, he declined that because he said that current lineup will dissolve after three albums, and they did. So after they did, he left. Other, but after other than real in the years, was uh, what was the other one? Uh, Ricky, well, don't lose that. Is that on there? I don't know if that's on that. Uh, that's nineteen seventy four. I don't know, but he left at that point. But he's on there. Um, I think the fourth and fifth record. Katie lied, nineteen seventy five. That's got uh, Dr. Wu. Um, the Royal Scam, um, he's on that record, too. Um, but at, Not at too one point, familiar with. The Royal Scam, um, Katie Light had a, Can You Hear Me, Dr. Wu? Da -da -da -da. You, you've heard. Mm. Yeah, 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 you do. Yeah, you do. You've heard. Never heard of that. All right, you didn't grow up in the 70s. Maybe. Okay. That's because I'm but, riding that train high on cocaine. Living on reds, vitamin C, and cocaine. Um, <laughs> but at one point, uh, this is, Mark would love this. Jeff Porcaro and David Page asked him to ask asked him to join Toto, and he declined. Real wow, Mark yeah. would really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Mark probably knows that because when I mentioned uh, Elliot Randall, Mark says, "Yeah, I've heard him." Of course, um, he knows it. Yeah, yeah. So, and, so after that, he became a musical uh, musical consultant on SNL. So he's. I don't know if he's in wow. the credits somewhere. Yeah. So, and um, so at this point, you know, he's got gone out of other things, a lot of jingles, a lot of commercial work, soundtracks, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's also an instrument consultant for like Akai, Roland, all these other things. So, yeah, someone who 
had a weird sense of the music business though when i read you know he just he, he never wanted to join anything too permanently so maybe he never had to but um wow 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 yeah but he's but he's got cool. the distinction of, of being known as playing one of the most considered one of the best guitar solos in modern rock history do you want to uh do you want to go into your one hit wonder and see uh yeah yes see what yep. we can do there yep Time is going here because we've been on for a while. So we're at an hour and a half, pretty much an hour and twenty something minutes. That's the usual. That's the usual. So um, this song, I believe it's in a, a one-hit wonder. Um, a songwriter performer. Uh, it was came out in nineteen seventy-eight, and I've also okay. called this my my first makeout song. <laughs> Give me a sample of it. See if I can guess I, it. I'm going to. Now, someone may have a contention saying he had other hits, but I don't think he had a, a, another U.S. hit. Um, right. If it, didn't crap, if, it didn't, if it didn't crack the top 40, it's not. That's a one-hit wonder. Yeah. Okay. Right? The top 40 is technically a, a hit, right? Yeah. That's why I think it. You know, this thing's in the top 100, but um, this mm -hmm. was actually. So this cracked. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that after. All right. So let's see if we can get this. That's I'm a nut, I'm a nut. <laughs> <laughs> it, is that not, was, uh, it is not Leroy Pollins, no. Yeah, that might be Stevie. It might be Stevie Nicks in the backgrounds on there, too. What is that? I've heard that a hundred times. The song is called Magnet and Steel. Yes. Yeah, it's a really, uh, it's a really one-hit wonder. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a great recording. It is a great recording. Yeah. I, I hear yeah. it frequently. What's um, his name? Walter Egan. Walter Egan. That guy's Walter famous Egan. in certain circles, Walter Egan. Yeah. Well, this when is you think the, of Warner Brothers and that kind of West Coast stuff, that oh, guy's yeah. there, right? Right. So uh, this that came out in set. That was the summer of '78. I remember. I remember wow. this distinctly. I love. I love that song. You are magnet, yep. and I am steel. That guy was yep. at like. That guy was at the US Festival and stuff playing at. Probably. I mean, and also yeah. lots of lots of uh, rock and roll '70s rock and roll TV shows. Yeah, um, that was a, a number eight on the Billboard Billboard Top 100. Number eight, so that, that that's a top ten hit, one hit wonder. Uh, number eighteen on the one Easy Listening wonder. chart. Yep, it was number nine in Canada because they know rock and roll. Mr. Jigs, Mr. Jigs the Chimp, <laughs> Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp, Me and the Chimp, <laughs> um, BJ and the oh, Bear, Walter Egan, Walter <laughs> Egan. That guy Walter. was. That guy was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his name so, has been on a lot of records. He was yeah, involved was, with like Fleetwood Mac somehow, right? Yeah, you know, well, well, the those thing kind is that, of things. That album is called Not Shy. It was produced by Lindsey Buckingham. All right, Fleetwood Mac. There's the connection. Uh, Wal yep. Walter Egan and Richard Dashett. That was the producer of Rumors, who was uh, the, a great friend of Lindsey Buckingham. Right, and I think right. Richard Dashett's daughter might be Colby Calais, the, the singer. I don't know. She got hits called like Bubbly. She's had some pretty. Big pop hits in the last 10 years, 15 years. Um, yeah, but here's, a, here's here's something I never knew about him. He was a songwriter, too. He has an album. He has a song that he wrote called Hearts on Fire that was covered by Graham Parsons on the Grievous Angel album. So he, he wrote, wrote on, that? He wrote Hearts on Fire, yeah. You're kidding. I didn't know that until today. I didn't know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you could hear uh, Emmy Lou all over that thing. Yep. Right, right. I mean, so for Graham Parsons yeah. to, to cover a song by someone else, I mean, that that was a modern 
modern day uh, singer. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. Yes, and but he's also a. Uh, in reps, after that stuff, he became a latter day member of the touring band for Spirit. One of my favorite little wow footnotes. Well, in rock I bet and you Western. when when Graham couldn't find a deal in L.A., he probably went to Walter Egan. Walter Egan probably helped get him a deal. You Maybe know? I mean, he's well, like, when did you know, Graham used to go? I'm looking for a deal. Can you get uh, me a deal? You know. Wow. When did Grievous Angel come out? Uh, I don't before, know. We'll have, to, we'll have to do it. Well, Graham died was seventy three. He died in seventy three at like twenty six years old or something. Right, so, well, so so Walter Egan wrote that song. Well, that had to come out seventy two, seventy one. But Magnum Steel was seventy eight. So yeah, you know, one of those wow. guys. Yeah, wrote a lot of songs. You know, like like yeah, a, a million people. You know, Hoyt Axton. Yeah, he was probably like an A and R guy and all those kind of mm -hmm. things. You know, producer slash engineer and yeah, whatever else. A network session person. Um, now that yeah. song Magnum Steel has been used in several movies. Um, most notably, uh, Boogie Nights. <laughs> Burt Reynolds, great movie, great, great movie. movie. Yeah, Burt Reynolds should have won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. He got screwed well, royally. Yeah. He got screwed because he was he, he was Mavericky. But Burt Reynolds wasn't a Hollywood guy like that. He, he didn't himself. get the respect. Yeah, he didn't he get the didn't he did, respect. No, nah, he was I a, mean, he was his own man. He did his own thing. Yeah, but also in uh, in uh, what was the one where they were in the canoes up to, in the Tennessee and the rivers? The, up Deliverance. There. Deliverance. Deliverance. All he did was lay in the boat and go, so, you know, once he broke his leg. Or Not whatever, in the beginning. You know. In the beginning. Well, he was, he, he know, was running the show. But John Voight and uh, Ned Beatty were really, oh, yeah. you know, they were the ones that took the movie. Yeah. I, he did what he was supposed to do. Yeah. He, had a, he had a compound fracture, yeah. man. And after his Cannibal Run movies and, you know, the, well, yeah, uh, yeah. the Driving Sharky, Fast Sharky's movies. Machine. Yeah, yeah. Right. After those, I guess he didn't get respect. But there's some Burt Reynolds movies I really like. Yeah. Sharky's yeah, yeah. Machine I like. Uh, the, long, the Longest Yard. Longest Yard, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. I broke his freaking neck. <laughs> and he had his shin bone sticking out of his leg for half a deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, that was a great uh, that was a great song. Uh, you are magnet, yeah. and I am steel. And yeah. When I hear it on the radio, the recording still sounds really good. It's a really great production. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's very present. It almost sounds like um, that Elvin Bishop song "Fooled Around and Fell in Love." Uh, that was produced yeah, by Bill. Yeah, that was that produced vein. by Bill Simzik. Yeah, it's in that vein, but yeah. the recording is in that vein where it's it's mellow seventies, but. Everything is recorded really well. The drums are recorded re really nice. It's a great drum sound. But, um, yeah. Well, that song, yeah. Magnus Steel, that is that West Coast sort of, you know, that's that West yeah. Coast thing. Yeah. 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 That's that LA thing yep. or Sausalito, wherever, you know, wherever that studio was that Fleetwood Mac did uh, rumors Burbank. <laughs> in Sausalito. Sausalito, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never been there. Now, uh, I've got a one hit wonder. Do you want to hear the riff? Yeah, man. Can I guess I'll it? play the opening riff and you tell me if you know All what right. it is, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm only going to play. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, we're in enough trouble anyway from me in the beginning. Uh, uh, so, remember the old Honeymooners episode of Ralph Cramden is doing, name that tune? No. Well, there's a scene all right, in Honeymooners where Ralph is being coached and all these songs. He's a, a music encyclopedia. So, um, Ed Norton is helping him do the songs. So Ed Norton plays piano, but Ed Norton's warm up is Swanee River. So before every song goes, and Rob goes, play me the tune. So 
That's what I'm saying to you. I only remember the one where uh, where they were they they rented a uh, they were gonna create a, this product and it was uh you know this thing it, it can quarry it, apple it can quarry apple cor- it, was, it was like the, the kitchen helper <laughs> and he panics on the camera. I'm <laughs> having it can quarry apple. Listen to this. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's applause. Mere bag of shells. This diamond ring. This time in ring, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Yeah, that was Jerry Lewis's kid. Yeah, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. That was Jerry Lewis' kids. Um, yeah. You know, Snuff Garrett produced that number one Snuff hit. Garrett. I think that that's was some, one of uh, his. That was okay. number his racked up another number one hit with that in '66. And I think it's very possible that Mike Bloomfield has something to do with that. He might have really? He might have written that song. Ah, uh, well, we better look that up because I don't know yeah. about that. I'm gonna really? do it. I'm gonna do it right now. Yeah, this diamond ring, and yep. uh, find out who wrote it because if it was Mike Bloomfield, it'd be like, well, shock. There, there's something when I read it. Who wrote that? I'm like, that's kind of unusual, right? This diamond ring, song by Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Let's see. Let's see. Where's the old famous? Where's the resource? All right. No, no. Oh, wait. I was wrong. I was, I was close, though. Uh, it's, it was, a 19, woo, woo, woo. it's a 1965 song written by Al Cooper. Al Cooper and yeah. two other guys, right? Uh, yeah. Bob Brass and Erwin Levine. Now. Um, yeah. Do you know who that guy Irv Levine was? I don't. Tell me. Click on him. Is he highlighted? Uh, let's see. No, he actually, he wasn't. Um, let's see. That guy wrote. No. Should be. Where, what did he write? No, no, hold on a second. Ir- Irwin Levine, wait. Tie a yellow ribbon round yeah, me. That... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. So, that was, yeah. That, that was covered by Don No Soul Simmons. I don't know who that is. <laughs> that oh, was, uh, my own that family was, senator. That, that was David Allen Greer <laughs> doing the. Um, <laughs> Every thought, every one out of every thousand black men is born with no soul, but he's playing all these really <laughs> white, whitey songs. Um, he also wrote, um, that, that was enough to earn my disgust. <laughs> so, that's cool that you know that. Why do you know that? That's, but I, but I believe that Snuff Garrett was the producer oh. of that, and that was one of his number one hits in the 60s. Yes, it was. Before he did the share stuff in the 70s, and uh, so, Mickey Lawrence. So check this out, dude. Um, Erwin Levine also wrote, I woke up in love this morning. That the Partridge family covered. Partridge family, yeah. That's a good song. Cartridge. That's a great song. song. I woke up in love this morning. You know, so this say, has anybody seen my sweet Gypsy Rose? That's another Another Tony Orlando, Orlando, right? He also wrote wrote one of the earlier hits, Candida. Oh, he wrote Candida. Candida, That's my favorite Tony Orlando song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my Candida. We could make it together. <laughs> he died in 1958 in Livingston, New Jersey, um, from either heart failure or kidney failure. You pick one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take them both. Well, well, yes. Yeah, so, uh-huh. uh, yeah. So there's that connection. Al Cooper was connected with that, but uh, yeah, these guys. Uh, yeah. yeah. So when when I hear these wait, songs wait. like "Tie a Yellow Ribbon" or the other one was, I hear like four string banjo in there. Yep. It's it's almost Tin Pan Alley, and he was well, Tony Orlando was kind of like a 
harking back to that era, you know, show busy kind of he guy. He was a real building guy too. Yeah. Tony I wonder if, I wonder yeah. if he was the inspiration for the um Joe Flaherty's uh SCTV talk show host character called Sammy Maudlin. That would get really <laughs> I don't know. He would get really emotional. I love you, man. He'd get really emotional on everything. <laughs> I don't <else>. know. <laughs> he start crying over a little thing. Um so guess who played on Gary Lewis and the Playboys um on on the backing track? How so, Blaine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hal Blaine on bass, Joe Osborne, the great Joe Osborne on bass. Yeah, ba- it was the Wrecking bass. Crew, right? Yep. Yeah. And Leon Russell played keyboards and arranged the music. Yep. He, so Leon Russell arranged the whole thing. That, that's Leon arranging. Russell was an arranger. Don't he was forget, an arranger. Like the other week. Remember the other week I had said that Leon Russell was, um, he was hired by, uh, to, to do arranging for Liberty Records. Yeah. Liberty Liberty Records. Yeah. Yeah, now arranging, that's that's something. There's people who are known just as arrangers, more so than either producers or songwriters. Like uh, Gil Evans, he arranged Sting's version of Little Wing. So Sting had this thing, and he just, you know, put this over here, put that over there. Arranging is a whole, like, we write songs. It's the whole other thing. Do you put that chorus there? Or do you go to an instrumental break? Do you do two verses and then a chorus or well, one, well, you know? I didn't even know that Sting covered Little Wing. In one of our earlier um, ham radio shows, uh, we did, uh, we did, I mentioned like songs that are just nothing but really great versions of, and Little Wing was one of them, and Sting did a great version with um, uh, the, a guitar player, Hiram Bullock, um, playing yeah, guitar. Yeah. Hiram Bullock was I one of those. that uh, guy, yep. He was on like early, early, either early Conan O'Brien show. He was the band, the band guitarist or band leader for one of the, the talk shows. I don't remember which one. No, I think he was like one of the original guitar players for Dave Letterman. Maybe. I think, I think yeah. you're right. I yeah. think you're right. Yeah, you yeah. are right. But and, and I think another New Yorker guy. So he used to play down in, at, at, in down in, the, in Greenwich Village at some of those same clubs. Kenny's Castaways, The Bitter End, etc. But yeah, so that was that was but, the one. So that, that Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Okay, that was the one hit as far as I know. Yep, because I always thought that was them doing Judy in Disguise, but that's not. That's like no, that's not. That's somebody else. Yeah, schmo. <laughs> that's what you are. Yep. But that like was a, Jerry Lewis's kid, apparently, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I thought so Al, Al Cooper was one of the writers. I thought it was Mike Bloomfield, or I thought he may, might have played on it, but that was maybe something else. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I heard that Check song. Check this I book heard, out I'm reading. Ted Templeman. Yeah. The producer of Van Halen, amongst many others. Yeah. He's back. Mark. Hey, Mr. Mark. Smith. You look different. What did you do? I took a shower. You th- I could tell you needed one. Yeah. yeah, you smelled over here. I can smell you. I have a smell of camera on my thing here, Mark. We were um, in your absence. We were talking we did about our one-hit um, wonders. The one-hit wonder. Um, yeah. So you want to know the, what my one-hit wonder was? The wonders from the thing that you do. The no, no, oh, okay. no. The wonder of you. Yeah, Elvis. The reason why Elvis. It was Walter Egan's Magnet and Steel. I don't think I know that one. You want to hear it? Yeah. Let's get in trouble. Real quick. What the hell? We're in enough trouble already from the first segment. It it doesn't doesn't matter. All right, forget your... Mark, forget you ever heard anything. Listen to this. Okay. All right, cut it before we get in trouble. Yeah, I know that. did you see Boogie Nights? We, we have nice. no show. We only have a we don't have a yeah. we don't have a YouTube show this week. We only have a, yeah. an audio podcast this and week. Sp- and Spotify. So that, 
that is the uh, Dirk Diggler theme song. <laughs> yes, it is. It was in Boogie Nights. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was in Boogie Nights. You were just talking about that Burt Reynolds uh, yeah. movie, right? Yeah. May, may I see it? Here? Please. <laughs> I'm not, not going to mention any of William H. Macy's hysterically funny lines from that movie. Because this is still no, a clean I felt show. badly for him, man. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, really. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Um, it's this Boy, I, I came yeah. in on a real high note here. Boogie oh, nice. you sure did? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was also Listen, induced, I, it was induced Bigelow as well. Yep. I just have and to I tell have, you, I ran well, downstairs. I unplugged my modem, plugged it back in. We had our lines rewired in our neighborhood. And oh. ever since I rewired, we have terrible internet. So, okay. Um, also, w- when you were gone, uh, I was mentioning um, the guitar player Elliot Randall that you were okay. aware you, you were aware of him. He, he was he he played the guitar solo on Reeling in the Years, and which is probably like one of the best, really one of the best guitar solos in rock. <laughs> yeah, he's on three Steely Dan albums. Um, but um, also I was. Mentioning to Perry that uh, Jeff Porcaro and David Page asked him to join Toto, and he said no. That's I don't know. If that, I don't know that, yeah, I don't know if that was in the formation of Toto at some point during the line there, but um, yeah. So, but he was a musical consultant in SNL and things like that. Yeah. But um, makes sense because yeah. Luke was a real young guy; he was younger than him, so they said. And he wow. said, like in that uh, in that Rodney Dangerfield movie, Back to School, you know, he can flunk you, flunk me, flunk him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, Walt, now uh, going back to uh, Magnet and Steel with Walter Egan, um, I didn't know until today that he wrote Hearts on Fire that Graham Parsons did on the Grievous Angel album. Oh, so wow. he's a song. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. That's, yeah. cool. That's really, really cool. So he, he goes back on, and he was a member of uh, one of my favorite obscure bands, Spirit. Um, at one point, he mm-hmm. joined Spirit, probably after Randy California died. Yeah. But the Great Spirit. The Great Spirit. Spirit Fingers. So, do you guys want to review the John uh, Johnny Prine record called "The Missing Years"? Johnny Prine, sure. your old buddy, Johnny Prine. Yeah. Johnny Prine. So yeah. uh, we'll just uh, we'll just know that. Uh, uh, well, you guys already know this because you did the research. But it's his tenth studio album. Yep. Won a Grammy for yeah, was best a... contemporary folk album in nineteen ninety one. John Prine, I'm a I'm a huge fan. I, so I'm not going to review this record. I'm the one who recommended it. That's not my job. Your guys, it's your job to do that. Putting us on the hot seat, shit. So, but you know, shit. so you guys know that Roger Waters wanted to produce this record. Michael Kamen wanted to produce this record. Roger Waters wanted to. Roger Waters is one of the guys that wanted to produce this record. Yep. Didn't know that. Wow. Yep. But so. They found out that uh, John Prine somehow found out that a couple of the guys in the Heartbreakers were really big fans. They were always at his show. Howie Epstein, the bass player for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, being one of them, who ended up producing the record. Yeah. The late great and, Howie um, Epstein. Yeah. And apparently Bruce Springsteen said, listen, you know, they, or I guess they, they, they recorded part of it in Nashville at uh, what was the studio called? It was really like uh, the studio was called the Money Pit. Yeah, the money Nashville. Pit. Appro- appropriate name. Yeah, yeah. but then they re- they said it was mostly recorded at huh, HUH Sound Theater, and, and which was apparently the the bedroom in uh, Howie Epstein's house, and apparently had one of those houses that John Prine said it looked like it was going to fall off the cliff, you know, like I guess in a Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh. But uh, so that's that's where most of the recording took place. So Howie Epstein was the producer. 
and a lot of lot of people uh, a coterie of uh, they they claim they claim it's a coterie which are all like minded people oh came yeah by you know so uh, we're and, a coterie you know, the three of us Phil yeah. Everly was there yeah Phil Everly Bonnie Phil Ray Everly. Albert Lee the great guitar player you can hear him in with English that Stratocaster style you know with those real springy guitars but Bruce Springsteen said anything it's just just let me know. I'll play guitar. I'll sing. I'll do anything. And um, so, yeah. So uh, I'll let you guys. Uh, and Tom Petty, of course, sings uh, on the first tune, Picture Show. Yep. So uh, I'm, curious, I'm not going to review it. I'm going to curious what you guys think about it. Also, uh, uh, David Lindley plays on it. Uh, we, we discussed last week on the Jack. David Lindley. Week yeah, before about, about you know, yep. Jackson Brown's uh, side. Uh, Mike Campbell's yeah. on it. Uh, the Mike legendary Campbell co-wrote co-wrote one of the songs with okay. him. Yep. Uh, there's a session bass player that was all over the '70s. Maybe he's not known that well. Bob Glaub. Yep. Bob mm, Glaub. Yep. He's on it. Uh, ben Montench. Ben Montench is on yep. it. another heartbreaker. Mm. Um, and you mentioned Phil Everly and Bonnie Raitt. May I start? When yeah. I was a kid, I'm when curious I was a... what you guys think about it. Yep. I'm gonna say first off the bat, I listened to it three times. It is a. I think it's a great record. It's a really great record. Um, he's he's something else. I am um, when I I've I'm I've known his work for some reason. I hate to say this; it's almost blasphemous. I don't know. I don't ever hear Angel Angel from Montgomery ever again. That's one of the, there's something. Uh, yeah. some, I don't know. It's, it's a psychological. Something that irks me, and I'm not going to get into it. Why? Yeah, but, um, played to a, death. Yeah, it's a great Covered song. To death, played to death. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to see another gray bearded yep. man sing that song. It's, a, it's John Prine's <laughs> Lucky Man. It's the same as Lucky Man. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. I don't want to hear All that right. song ever again. Yeah, yeah. All right, you know, but it, but it's a, it's a great song. Yeah, it's it can't help but be poignant. Um, but mm -hmm. when I was um a kid, like you know, we. we Talking about pulling out the record sleeves and seeing who the artist rosters were, and I was like, yeah. "Who's John Prine?" I, I couldn't. Well, the guys of that vein, because my exposure to country music was, you know, something like the Conway Twitties. And as a kid, I, I didn't mind it. I didn't get it. Just it didn't sound like you know the Beatles or the Stones to me. And this, as a young boy going to teenage, I was just it was it was a country. I didn't know what it was. I, I knew singer songwriters, but I didn't hear much John Prine growing up. You know, no, no one in my family had any records by him. Certain songs I knew. But when I heard it as a kid, I used to call it fuddy-duddy music. I used to call it old fuddy-duddy music. Because you know, it had what they call it in the rocking chair blues, you know. Um, but as I've grown older and I've matured and you listen to other music, it's, and especially where I live in Asheville, it's a big Americana singer-songwriter thing. Uh, his influence is, is ridiculously huge. I mean, I can hear it in everyone that plays down here. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to write a John Prine-style song. Um, and the way he does it, they the humor. They want to weave the lyrics in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just, well, the, the yeah. story, the storytelling and his yeah. language, yeah. Um, you know, the rhyming schemes, the whole thing. The music itself is great. You know, the, you know, the musical accompaniment is great. Um, and he's one of those guys as a singer, you know, he knows how to use, I'm going to say the limitations of the voice he had, you know, there's Roy Orbison's and then there's John Prine's and Towns Van Zandt. Right. Uh, um, I think John Hyde. But he has great melody. He has great. He has melody. great melody, but but yeah. he knows yeah. how to he knows how to write songs to his voice. Yeah. And that's that's the brilliance behind it. Um, this is a solid collection of songs. I mean, there's some. Yes. And a lot of them I heard like a big yeah. old goofy world. I've heard that many songs. I didn't know what album it was on. Yeah. Um, and, and it's actually about his mother, who loved crossword puzzles. Mm. So you know, like, <laughs> but. So yeah, those kind of you know it's, he, he writes things about, and I mean they mean different. They mean these songs mean different things to everybody. You, you know, right. some of these songs here are breakup songs. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, like 
it's uh, the missing years of Jesus Christ, you know, you listen to it. You know, there's that story, like, what did Jesus, Jesus do between... the missing years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what did he do between between his early teenage years and when, and when he was in starting right. his ministry at 30? You know, he was... He, Jesus, I'm confident he was in the Far East getting instruction from the mystics. But mm -hmm. um, but according to the song, he was actually discovered the Beatles and recorded them. So, you know, <laughs> you know it's just totally goofy stuff. But um, it, it, it's it's... It's evocative. It's pointy. It's quaint at times. I mean, there's some things that it's like. I, yeah. I, I use I use the term rocking chair blues as a positive thing. It's just, it's laid back music. It's, it's something I wouldn't. Well, the, for it, example, it, it, after I heard after I heard the record, I listened to it like every time other singer songwriters of that vein will pop up. I heard some Buddy Miller. I heard some Buddy and Julie Miller. A guy named uh, Chris mm -hmm. Stamwell or something. I'll, I'll look him up again because he did a really uh, some other good stuff. But I'm like, in its time and its place, you know, it's really. It's good, you know. It's very well crafted. Now I will say this in relations to the Jackson Brown record. Mm -hmm. This makes Jackson Brown sound like the Sex Pistols, okay? This makes Jackson Brown what? It sound like the Sex Pistols. <laughs> no, it's 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 not. I wouldn't say it's boring. It's it's very. I mean, it's mellow. It, it's just. It is what it's supposed to be. You could go to a show. John Prine's shows were, were civilized. You sat in a theater and you listened to it. And you listened yeah. to him describe what's happening between before yeah. every song. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody was messing with you on either side of your seat, that, that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It was just, you know, it's, but uh, it's classic yeah. American. He's a classic American songwriter. Um, and he was funny. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was very funny. Like that rye wit. Yeah. Um, is he? He was these... a former letter carrier. Right, right, right. Like Tom yeah. Spallone. <laughs> he's got yeah. puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Did he ever? Is he is he inducted into anything that we <clears throat> that we know of? I mean, it's not. I wouldn't call it rock and roll. Sure, I'm sure. No, well, I, I mean, what a for contemporary folk. Sure. So no one knows. Yeah. You know, is he a country artist? Is he a folk artist? Is he a pop artist? He's all of it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and his songs have also been been covered. You know, by by many people. Many well. times. Yeah. Um. And now some of this. Now the musical accompaniment on this record is really good. I mean. Yes. It's like I said, these players on this know what to do and they know how to do it. Um, well, right off the bat, on the first show, on the first song, picture show, yeah, you hear Ben Montench right off the bat on the organ. And the way this guy plays organ is perfect, it's so yeah. subtle, always, yeah, right? Yeah, unlike Bon Jovi's keyboard player, it's it's not well, he, he knows he knows his place, you know, in, in the music, he knows where to go. He always did, and even in the Heartbreakers, when it was more rock and roll, it just wasn't. Yeah, yeah it was where it was supposed to fit. I think also after hearing this, I mean, John Mellencamp has been influenced greatly. I'm John surprised John Mellencamp co-wrote a song with him on there. Yep, on this record, I didn't look at the writing credits. So okay, because yeah. you got, I he can wrote, hear. Take a look at my heart. That's okay. co-written oh. with, with Johnny Mellencamp. Yeah, that's one of my favorite songs on, on the album. Yeah. I don't know when yep. the Lonesome Jubilee by Mellencamp came out. Maybe around the same time, but there's. Yeah, you can hear the influence. You can hear the influence John Prine has, has had on on these mm -hmm. people. You know, um, so yeah, uh, that I mean, there's some. I don't. I don't have the cuts in front of me, but I was just saying. Well, let, let me play a sample of Picture Show right here, right yeah. off the bat. You'll hear Ben Montench and uh, Albert Lee. A young man from a small town with a very with a very large imagination. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, Tom Petty, Tom Petty sings on that song, and uh, I better not play it. I better not play any more of it. But uh, yeah. you hear, you hear distinctly Tom Petty. You hear distinctly Bruce Springsteen singing on the song he sings with Bruce. Distinctly, yeah. these guys just wanted to be there. 
They just yeah. wanted to be there. And, you know, the second song, All the Best, it's a breakup song. It's a yeah. breakup song. I wish you happiness. I wish you all the best. It's a breakup song. Mm-hmm. You want to throw some comments in there, Mark? Or, uh, oh, you're right. Well, I didn't overall, want to... Lou, what would you think yeah, as far as, uh, all, like, you know, all in all, would you... Uh, well, well deserving of its Grammy. I think it's. I think it's a great. Well album. deserving of its Grammy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. especially in, in its genre. Um, right. every well, song every, to be every, folk this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah electric yeah. folk. I mean, you know, like I said, the first yep. song's got a nice, pretty full drum kit on it. Um, there's some stuff. There's some electric guitars on it. You know, it's it's Ameri- I, yeah. aspects are Americana, alt country. Um, and I've always I, been a fan of the way John Prine picks the guitar. Yes, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's a the piedmont style or whatever you mm. call it but i like the way he picks guitar yeah and he has a lot of guitar picking by the way yeah mm-hmm. uh, and let's not uh, try to put him in a genre because i hate that it's like we have to pick something is he folk no. right is he country really no nah. right the grammy it's people John didn't Prime. know what to do with him so they put <laughs> yeah. contemporary folk yeah. which means yeah. it's not the not the kingston trio but it's it, more yeah modern. it's not yeah yeah right. yeah i mean what would you call it american singer songwriter but that that's very large large right, category yeah. too you know i call it I mean, prime prime yeah. like i said like i said earlier this guy was great friends he was best friends with steve goodman who died way back way back then who wrote yeah. you know a lot of songs the city of new orleans being his biggest probably mm. and sadly john prine was the victim of the covid 19 yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah john prine yeah. yep probably you know, so- vulnerable to it you know he was a cancer survivor um but he had yeah. to live through that he had to live through that twice you know and I read where his you know, his wife got it, and then he got it with hospital life. Yeah, you know? yeah. That was sad, you know. Um, so my thing with John Prine is I really knew nothing about him. How I knew what John Prine, who he, what he looked like was, I had a Yes album or an ELP album. Remember when Atlantic and Atco would put on the inner sleeve all the pictures of Current I was releases. telling Perry this. I was, I was, yeah, that's you see him from that. They'd be advertising yeah, so, for their other releases. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I always used to see the one for his first album where he's sitting back in the car with his feet up. And I always said, damn, that guy looks cool, you know, but I never heard him. And then I think, you know, years later, I think Perry, you might have played me a couple songs of his, but it didn't really get on my radar so much. Mm-hmm. Of all people, my son, he just started like, uh, he's, he's mm-hmm. big on, um, uh, Pandora. And so he's listening to the station. It's like, dad, um, John prime comes up a lot and he, I like him. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I went on Spotify and I started listening and I, I did get into him. Like, I was like, Oh wow, this guy's really good. But I didn't listen to this album. I was listening to, I thought I had to listen to the seventies albums. Big difference with the seventies albums is the production was totally different and uh, kind of thin, yeah. whatever, you know, but it was still great music. So, um, you know, uh, oddly enough, and I was going to say is that when before COVID hit, I had actually bought tickets to see John Prine in Philadelphia, and me and my son were going to go down, spend a weekend, just go down there, go see, you know, the Liberty mm-hmm. Bell and all that, go see John Prine. It was Get in the outdoor park, and yeah, he died. You know, it was like oh bummer. Yeah. You know? Um In fact, uh, we he was supposed to play at uh, in Rockland County, where that. Uh, those fairgrounds are sort of really, by the, um, yeah, you know what I mean, right? The Germanic three mile, fair, three miles the Germanic away from fairground. Me, yeah. 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 I've been there for, I've been there for shows. 
And of course it was canceled because of the COVID, but John yeah. Bond was supposed to play there. Yep. Wow. Steve Forbert played that place a lot. So anyway, right. um, I started listening on Spotify and what hit me is when picture show comes in right away. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Production is different. It's yeah. like, this is a full throated production, but it's not, it's not, slick. it's not folk music. Yeah. No, but it's not slick either. It's just, I said, this is what John prime needed. You know, mm. thank God for Howie you know, for doing yeah. this album. Yeah. And, um, me being a movie buff picture show, the lyrics are great. You know, it just goes right, right to me and stuff. And so I was drawn in, um, I've only had a week. So I, what I did is on Tuesday after listening to it on Spotify, I actually ordered the CD and, what great packaging. I stopped doing this the whole show, but you know, it's like, it's yep. great packaging and it's a damn good price. It was 11 bucks. But who refers, I mean, it's, it's an old, like who refers to a movie? Like, do you go, I'm going to the picture show tonight. Yeah. That's an yeah. old fashioned term. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Just like the old, the movie, the last picture show. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I, you know, every song on this album I like. In fact, probably the song right now that I least like, but I don't not like it, is the Lefty Frizzell cover, uh, I Want to Be With You Always, because it, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like different. He does but, that you know, like I, New Orleans style, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's still yeah. great, I'm sure, okay. you know, but I'm getting into the stuff like All the Best and stuff. So the lyrics, this is the Prine album where the lyrics really jumped out at me. So like on All the Best, there's one lyric that just came to me. It says, Yep. Um, I guess that love is like a Christmas card. You decorate a tree, you throw it, you throw in, the it yard. in the yard. Yep. It decays and dies, and the snowmen melt. I mean, yep. that, that, to me, that's just awesome. I yeah, that. that's a great uh, yeah. lyric. And apparently, um, John Prine was one of those guys that left the Christmas tree up all year round because all the time he just liked them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lot, yeah, yeah. Um, then what I was surprised, like. I really took off on Sins of, of Memphisto. Sins of Memphisto, yeah. yeah right? Yeah, and then I read that that was like he, how he, they spent over he a year him, recording we need, two more, we need two more tracks. Yeah. After we spending. 12. Him, yeah. <laughs> and John Prine tells him, you can autopsy me. You won't find any more songs in there, man. <laughs> you know? He comes up with this freaking great song. I mean, he's awesome. He's, he said he locked himself in a hotel room and came up with it. And what yeah. I like about it is I'll, I'll play it. It's got a click track and it's pretty uh, much the song. Mm -hmm. that, that's the, that's the leading to the song. Probably a drum machine. What a great guitar. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah, a, there's a yeah. great line in that. Oh, sorry. Sally uh, used to play with her with hula, hula, hula hoops. Now, now she talks to therapy groups. That's great. And a, here's a great line. Grandpa's on the front porch staring at a rake, <laughs> wondering if his marriage was a terrible mistake. Like, this guy could rhyme, man. <laughs> right. And then what, what's, the, what's the golf course reference? And it would sound silly and stupid <laughs> if anybody else did it, but it's John Prine, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the other, and then speaking of the only song I knew of this album was the Jesus, the missing years. And just what, when I first heard that song, the first line, it was raining, it was cold. West Bethlehem was no place for a 12 year old. I mean, I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. look, this is a great song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and what the other line was like, Jesus didn't need this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm still like getting into the whole album. I mm -hmm. can sit and listen to the whole album, but I'm not getting deep into the songs. It's going to take me yeah. months. Uh, yeah. This is, this is, I would say, and I haven't heard all his albums, and I, a lot of people told me the last album he did before he died was fantastic. I haven't heard it. 
I would venture to say this will probably be my favorite John Prine album. Yeah, well, this is before he really got sick, so his voice yeah. was still there. Yeah. yeah. You know, he really yeah. was a weakened singer in the later years. Mm-hmm. But wasn't it like a perfect like storm that... Yeah, yeah. But it was like a perfect storm that he was kind of like, his popularity dwindled. Howie said, you know, I want to do an album. It was a perfect time. Like, they did this, they great production good just a good i play it on a real high-end system it's a great produced album really good. oh yeah it's, it's a great yeah. sounding record yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. For and instance, i also big old goofy world right yeah. big old yeah. goofy yeah. world it's What's a my simple little song and it's got like a drone in it i kind of like that little mm-hmm. drone in there right. yeah yeah and uh i i think um Dave Lindley, of course, was on this record, and uh, you know he may have played the bassoon on it or something. You know, that's got great lyrics too. It's a big old goofy world. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want to start reading them all. You know what I also like was when you recommended it after the show. Anthony comes up and hangs out, and I said, "Anthony, did you ever hear the missing years from John Pine?" He goes, "No, not really." And he's looking on the phone, and he says, ah, "It's got Bruce Springsteen on. It's got he lists all the people." Said, "Oh, is mm-hmm. it one of those duets albums?" Oh no, huh. I don't want. No, no nobody no, on no. this album is overpowering. It's John no, Prine, no. It's him. and every yeah. I didn't even know. Like Perry, you told me tonight that Albert Lee's on the first song. I didn't even know he was on it. Albert Lee's on a lot of songs on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and and I don't hear Bruce Springsteen. I hear him, but like, he's not overpowering. You know. So yeah. yeah. Yep. But I get well it. here. That's I'll, I'll play you the little the little thing with uh, Bruce Springsteen in it, right? And you can yeah. hear him singing. You're gonna get it together and find yourself all alone. You're going places I've been to. There's Bruce. Yep. You can hear him distinctly. Okay. You can hear him distinctly. And that song was co-written with Johnny Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Which, by the way, John Mellencamp, I have really started liking a lot more in the last five, six years. He yeah, became yeah. like a John Prine, sort of Americana, yeah. sort of. I mean, granted, he had his pop success, and he had no control over it, right? I mean, we, yeah. you know, he was Johnny Cougar, and he couldn't yeah. control that <clears throat> until he took control of his career, right? Yep. Yeah. Even some, yeah. Things, uh, some things on the, like the Lonesome Jubilee. You know that you can hear the, the John Prine influence and other, other yeah, stuff, yeah. Right album. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. He did a song with Bruce Springsteen, I think, last year. I forgot the name. I think it's a Mellencamp song. Mm-hmm. I believe. I, I don't think it's a album. co-write. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, it is. And his last album, he's starting to get that Bob Dylan sound because he was on Mark Maron's show, WTF, and and uh, Mark remarked that like before the show, he's out back smoking cigarettes like the guy won't give up smoking and yeah. so you listen to the last album he's like <laughs> singing, you know but the songs yep. are still great yeah. yeah yeah now there's a song called great rain and it was written with mike campbell and you can hear mike campbell right off the bat you know it's mike campbell it's mike campbell yeah oh that's so good yep but the song for me is way back then that song is like, that's one of those songs that stops me in my tracks, man. And I'm like, holy shite. You, you know, it's one of those songs that can just stop you. Like, you know, yeah. like uh, Mom and Dad's Waltz from Lefty Frizzell. That just stops me in my tracks. Yes. And yes. this is way back then is one of those songs. I might have a little sample of it to get more Wait. trouble. 
Beautiful song. Baby, Beautiful yeah. freaking song. Baby sleeping. Brother is on the run. Yeah. I am out undoing all the good I've done. Baby These little sleeping. Lines brother's on. Oh, yeah. If you loved me, tell, tell you what I would do. Wrap the yep. world in in what? Silver foil. <laughs> Bring it home to you. I mean, that's just this really good stuff. Yeah. That, that, that intro could have come out of the 1800s. Yeah, it could yeah, absolutely. Yeah, could yeah. yeah, yep, yeah. So Pete for him, I Perry. I know why it's. You told me it's your favorite John Prine album. Yeah, I know why? Yeah, and and there's a song, uh, "Unlonely." He sings with Bonnie Raitt. That's one of my favorites on and the album. You got gold. He sings with Phil Everly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I better leave it at that because I'll get in. I mean, we may not even have a. Of YouTube show this week, man. Listen, you know, there's some lyricists. If Fuck I start em. talking about their songs too much, I start to cry. <laughs> that's one of them. Yeah, but that Mark, that song Mark. way back then is like, damn, it stops me in my tracks, man. You know. Yeah. It takes a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. Yeah, you go. By the way, I think that if Roger Waters had produced it, it probably would have still been good. But I think if Michael Kamen produced it, I don't know how that would have worked out. Michael, yeah, who's Michael Kamen produced? He's a um, he's a conductor. Now he did that that Queensrÿche song. Wait, wait, wait he's like a like a train conductor. No, no, orchestral. <laughs> he's an orchestral conductor. Right. He um, he worked with Pink Floyd. That was like his big start. But he did Silent Lucidity. He was like the rock and roll orchestra guy. Oh, so okay. Rock band right. that you know, and he's he's was really good at what he did. But I can't see him mixing with huh. John Prine. I, I don't huh. know, you know. So, does Roger Waters kept it? Does Roger Waters have any production experience that would lend itself to that type of music? Just uh, being a dictator of Pink Floyd, and just being good. A, a, a brilliant right, songwriter yeah, and a musician, like I'm probably just justice. being a fan of the you know the things he was hearing from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's a thing we don't know about these guys. You know, like uh, oh yeah, you know, you would think Roger Waters, you'd be like, oh, this guy must hate the Beatles, you know, but who knows, right? Yeah. And when I and when I say dictator, I was being being funny because yeah uh, the whole pink floyd thing but you know he is he's he has a vision for what he wants and maybe the reason he hasn't really produced anybody is maybe he would have clashed with john prime like he would yep. say this is what i want you to sound like and john prime but, would have said F but also the, out, the, re you know? the reviews on this record right all music gave it you know four and a half stars robert Criscow gave it an a minus chicago a tribune four stars entertainment weekly a minus Encyclopedia of Popular Music, four and a half stars. So it's just a, it's just a great record. Yeah, yeah, I give it five. Robert Criscow gave it an A minus. Yep. Yeah. Robert, he's a he's a um, thorny reviewer. You know, the things he like, he's pretty accurate about a lot of things. He was not always that forgiving to Jackson Brown. He gave him a lot of B pluses. You know. Well, here's what he said about he's here's what he said about the uh, the record. He said music critic Robert Criscow wrote. Occasionally too fantastic, but never too yeah. bitter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he said he, he's the funniest of New Dylans, <laughs> writes like he's resigned to an unconsummated life and sounds like he's enjoying one. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Nice. nice. Yep. He, he was considered one of the one of the New Dylans when, when he was coming up. Yeah. Yep. And Dylan claims to be a fan as well. 
Dylan, yeah, because they're they're yeah. wordsmiths, yeah. But the yeah. The, the, the weaving is the well, way they weave. That, it sounds effortless, yeah. you know, just the way the facility language. Yeah. Yep. Mm. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're we're over two hours, guys. We're at two hours and eight minutes. Okay, so I just want to announce something. I'm putting in my two weeks' notice. I'm out of here now. Um, when we meet next week, I no will have seen. No bobblehead for you. I will have seen when we meet next week. Mm-hmm. Well, fulfilled one of my dreams on my bucket list. I never thought I'd be able to see him, but I'm going to be seeing Porcupine Tree this week at Radio City oh, Musical. That oh, is Steve cool. Wilson's band. Nice. Yeah. With my son, and I saw that, you know, I thought they were broken up forever. So um, you're probably going to see me like in a daze. You know, it's going to take days to get out of that one. But you're going to have to talk wait. about it. You got to talk about it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. I, it's hard to put a great, like, I could still tell you right now that that was Roger Waters awesome. concert. <laughs> That Roger Water concert was the biggest one of the biggest. You're not going to be like life. you're not going to be like those douchebags who hold up their phone, right, and go look. No. Well, I'm over here, like you know, you'll have to turn in your phone, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, like you guys asked me something about the Roger Water show, I can't put it in words. It was in my. I'm 53 years old. That concert, out of all the Roger Water shows, I saw was probably my favorite, and it was one of my favorite of all time. But I can't put it in words why I like it. So all I'm probably mm. going to say is it was great. That's all I'm gonna say, you know. But you know how it is with live shows; you got to be there, yeah, yeah. So. Or yep. yeah, no, you have to no, di- well, you have to digest no. things, and like you know, there is something you might see or hear that you know later on, you know. And it's John Prine record; you're gonna find yeah. lyrics and yeah. a lot of other yeah. Yeah. like another one, yep. another one. You know. All right, I'm like gonna to, kick. I'm gonna click in the closing closing theme, guys. All right. We're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podchaser. Pocketcast, Overcast. We're also on YouTube, I think. Maybe not this week, but we are on YouTube. So if you like us, like us and subscribe to us. We could use your support. We do this for you and us as well. I, I see Mark. I see Mark Smith jamming. Yeah, I want to do that solo. I want to do it. All right, all right. This is Music Relish Podcast. This is <laughs> the Music Relish Podcast coffee mug. This is wine. This is a really That's shitty all- beer. That's Australian wine. Shitty <laughs> <Kitty> beer. <laughs> Mark, it's a, it's a Mickey's Big Mouth. Somebody gave it to me. It is horrible. Oh. It is horrible. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, and I also said to Lou while you were off that um, you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. Al Cooper played the French horn, piano, and organ that. on that on that song. I yep. did not Along know that. Jimmy Miller on drums. Right? And uh, Mark Perry's one-hit wonder was... This Diamond Ring by Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Song written by Al Cooper. Erwin Levine and and some other guy named uh, Mr. Something. But yeah. That could be included in Italo Rock. Italo Rock? Oh, wait. When we did the Italo Rock, that was on the old, uh, that was on the ham radio show, right? That's right. (laughs) That was three soup cans and some string. (laughs) We got to redo that one. Well, Upcoming you know episodes, bubblegum music. Bubblegum, bubble gum, yeah. You need to know what's going producers, songwriters. Producers, songwriters. Yep. We're going to have the Redux. We're going to do the Redux episodes. Mellow, yeah. 
Music yeah, they're going to be redux. redux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubblegum redux. With added footage. Bubblegum redux. That's that's when we can't think of anything. We'll just redo. Music Relish, love us and subscribe. There's a love button on YouTube. <laughs> Is there really? <laughs> no. There should be. Good night. Good night. Farewell.